I wonder if I could have predicted oh, that he man. would die just based on his name. Just if you happen name. to misread his name, uh, Diane, oh, I mean Dion. Is Dion gonna die? <laughs> and have this like moment of realization. <laughs> Welcome back to the State of the Ark podcast. My name is Mike. My name is Kason. This is our Final Fantasy 16 analysis. It was originally going to be the final episode. Yeah. I'm I'm starting to think now that we will probably have one more. Ooh. And I'm going to explain why. <laughs> We're going to get through the end of the game's um, content. Like, we're going to get through yeah. the ending of the game today. There's no doubt about that. But we didn't do an opening episode for this one that went over development history it's and true, interviews, interviews and, and things like that. Yeah, yeah. And I feel motivated to do that now because mm. of how I feel now that the game is over. Okay. I want to reevaluate my feelings on okay. the game having read more developer interviews and things like that. About what their intentions were. Sure. Yeah. To see if maybe there is something there that will... And not even just that. I also want to really petition the audience this time mm. to... And this will have been left because we're, we're a week ahead. So this will have been left behind in a top comment on the previous episode yeah. because we're a week ahead. Because... You guys, by the time you see this, we'll be ready to record like the next day. <laughs> so it wouldn't give us enough time to collect the thoughts of the audience. Anyways, I'm going to go e explain all that. Um, the reason we do what we do on this channel is to help our viewers deepen their appreciation for the games we talk about. Yeah. That, that's, that is sort of front and center what we want to be gearing our attention towards. That's yeah. what we want to do. A lot of what threw us off with this game is the fact that it's brand new, brand new. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's like we had, we didn't, we didn't know where it was going or what we were getting into or any of that. Yeah. I, I think the idea was, you know, we always talk about really old stuff on here. Yeah. Maybe it would be beneficial to talk about something that's new and relevant. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I touched on this a bit last week, um, how the, the, sort of primary content of the channel, the bread and butter of the channel is no longer going to be just podcast with a very right. occasional other type of video. Yeah, yeah, We're working up to a schedule with which we will be re releasing weekly videos that are like the content of old, the essays, the, you know, and, and I think that side of things will be where it will be better to do dives into new relevant stuff, yeah, stuff yeah. that's coming out now, yeah, not yeah. this podcast, yeah, so. not so much <laughs> us talking for two hours about what does this mean? What, what's gonna? <laughs> I don't know. What I don't know. I've never played it before. Neither of you. Yeah. So, um, and this is something uh, I work in marketing. I have for many, many years now. Um, this is something that happens with with every business, every brand or whatever, you, you have sort of a, a goal that, that, that gives you a vision of where you're supposed to be moving. Right. Ours is deep appreciation. That's like yes. our tagline. We want, that's what we want to be doing. But you're going to skew away from that for a while, find yourself off course, and then you need to kind of recorrect, yeah. you know, change direction, go back to where you're supposed to be going. Yeah, yeah. This podcast ended up being that kind of experience for me. It was a reminder of this isn't what you're supposed to be doing. Right. You're supposed to be helping people appreciate stuff more. You're supposed to be. Yes. <laughs> and, and, and the unfortunate uh, truth, just being completely transparent with people today, having finished the game now, I cannot do that for this game. Oh, dear. I, I cannot help you like this game 
more. I cannot help you see a deeper side of it because I just don't like the game. And, and that's kind of where I'm at now. Uh, I want to say that up through like the Benedicta par portion, the beginning act, like the first act yeah. and, and kind of up through that Benedicta arc yeah. that I had a really net positive experience yeah. with Final Fantasy 16. We move into the Kupka arc and it starts to fall a little bit, but I think still overall, I, I still felt like a, a highly net positive sort of feeling towards the game, even though I started to have some gripes. There's that one scenario in Rosaria with Koopka that I thought was really badly written and really Luckily, luckily nothing uh, nothing got <laughs> to that level again, I think, yeah. in terms of just like, why did they do this? Yeah. Just a waste of time. Yeah. And, and then you get into the Bahamut arc, and, and, and that was mostly fine, too. It was there, interesting. Again, there's just places yeah. here and there. I'm kind of like, oh, I don't know how I feel about that, but like overall still pretty good. And then you get into Odin, and beyond that, and I, uh, that this final act, this resolution to the story has given me, has totally changed the balance of how I feel. It's, it's been a net, po yeah. a net negative experience for me now. And it's so weird, because if you look at it, if you try to be um, like just more general or maybe more objective about it, like it's cool stuff. All the stuff yeah. Odin does, like his character's sweet. Um, the, uh, the scene finally Clive and Jill finally like, yeah. you know, get together like, yeah. oh, sweet, you know, great. Like these things that we were waiting on happening um, finally happen. Uh, but there's there's an there's an emptiness um, yes. there associated with them as well. That's like if you just look at it from a cursory general overview, like, yeah, it's cool. Mm. Um, but as you're really trying to analyze it and mine out the gold that yeah. might be lying underneath, um, it becomes kind of difficult. Um, yeah. yeah, and I started feeling that too. I'm like, this game is like pretty cool. The presentation's so cool. Why do I feel like just don't? I don't. It, it's not doing yeah. it for me. Why? Why is that? Yeah, and I've been thinking about that all week because um, I took no notes. I played the entire ending of the game, including the final Mother Crystal, yep. and then that whole introduction where Ultima talks about his origins. Yes. And why he came to this world and all of that, all the way through the, the end where you go to origin, the, the place where he's at and you fight the final battle. Yeah, yeah. And I, I'm listening to this dialogue. I usually take a lot of notes on dialogue. I write a lot of it down. And I just had no, I had no motivation to do that this time. There was just nothing in this dialogue that I felt was noteworthy enough for me to take the time and energy to copy it and try to dig deeper into it. In, in, in my view, it was basically a repetition of the same exact argument we've been having for the last 12, 15 hours of the game. Free yeah. will, no, free will, no, free will, no, over and, then, and over and over and then, again. Oh, free will wins. Yeah. Which, and then, then, then it's over. Of, uh, like, which oh, is predictable, okay. of course it was going to, right? <laughs> right, right. So, right. This is, this, here's what I want to say about this. I cannot do what my goal with this podcast is. So that's why I want to have one final episode where I will read a lot more dev history stuff, you know, dev interviews uh, to try to glean some more about some of their goals. But I also would love to hear, because I, I, I saw one comment talking about that they felt there was a lot of depth in these discussions these conversations between Clive and, and Barnabas, for instance. Yeah, yeah. And I would love to know 
what you who feel that way, what you got out of it. Like, help me out. Like, help me get a deeper appreciation. I'm giving you the, my role now. My role's passed to you. Help me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because I'm not seeing it. I'm just yeah, not yeah. seeing it personally. Um, and and I would love to get. Uh, I would because I, I thought all all week about it. It's like, what can I say? What can I say? What can I say? And I just was coming up with nothing. You and know what's funny? We just came. We just finished near automata, which is yes. about the same idea. Right, yes. the same concept, free will or not, or what do you do about it's fate? Re- yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, but that game is like masterful. <laughs> it's thematically, it's really good, very, very rich. Yes, yes. and it, and it's really deep. And to come right on the heels of that game yeah. and to begin playing FF sixteen, which is just not as uh, not it's, as deep in that same region, though. In my opinion, maybe that could be it. Maybe if we had played this game not right after Nier Automata, <laughs> uh, maybe we'd have uh, be a little more generous towards some of what they're saying. Yeah. So, um, I guess this is another another thought I had. My thoughts are not very organized, and I didn't take notes. Um, because I, I, and I'm not the, and I'm not even the type of guy, I mean, you'll probably attest to this. I will do a lot of work that I don't want to do. Oh yes. That is very hard work. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Just for the sake of following through on a commitment I made. Oh, absolutely. Or just because I feel like that, that should be up to a certain standard. And even if I hate it and I don't want to do it, I will do it and I will do it way beyond going the extra mile. That's the type of person I am. Yeah. And even being that type of person, I could not bring myself to read ATL for this game. I just <laughs> don't care. I just don't care. It doesn't matter <laughs> at all to me. Oh, I don't want to read the ATL for two hours. I, I, I Those two hours I, are know, not worth it, in my opinion. I don't want to yeah. do it. When I first saw this, and, I, and we were talking about this before, we're like, oh, we don't like the ATL active time. But, yes. oh, but there's this tome place. Yes. Oh, sweet, cool. I'll yeah. go back there and read about it later. Yeah. Uh, but for some reason, if I'm not motivated, because I didn't either, and I, I thought that I would for sure be motivated to go back and read yeah. all the ATLs, and yeah. then they keep updating them. There's, like, different levels to the ATLs for different characters, and as you play the game more, you can, like, read more about them. There's, like, secret, like, yeah. the secret understanding of things. Um and I just, I, but I, I didn't care enough to go back and to read all the ATL. Because I, I would just look at it, all the stuff that I haven't read yet. And I'm thinking like, I don't, like, where do I start? Oh, this thing? <laughs> there or this thing? Well, I don't really honestly care much about either of them. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it's just, it's really hard. Uh, and, and, and again, I'm usually the type of person who would do that just for the sake of being thorough, just yep. for the sake of being as prepared as possible, just because that's the kind of person I am. And I cannot bring myself to do that just because it's just how little I cared when this was all said and done. Now, to put some caveats on that, that is not to say that I think Final Fantasy 16 is this terrible video game from sort of just like a, a yeah. general objective view. Right. I think it's very polished in a lot of ways. I think that it's very complete in certain, when you're looking at it from just like a general yeah, surface yeah. overview of it, it's not like the game is horrible no. or something. It's, it's cool. It's not. It's cool and its presentation is, like you said, polished. Yeah. It, 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 it presents very well. Yeah. It's, it's a good video game in just the farthest sort of general view. And a lot of people, 
will love it. No. And, and I will understand why they do. It, it's not like I'm going to sit here and be baffled. I don't get why anyone likes this video game. <laughs> like, yeah. it, it's not one of those situations. It's a good video game. It's just not my cup of tea in possibly the most important areas. Um, and, and I, and I kind of wanted to touch on that for a minute. I think that everybody has their own their own reason there's their own their own sort of personal thing that they're looking for right mm. and and you can go from a, a larger level just in games in general down to as granular as this particular series there's something i want from this mm. or from this particular restaurant when i go to that restaurant there's a dish that i want there yeah, yeah. and and i go there for that dish so if they removed that dish from the menu even if they replaced it with another dish that is a good dish, but it's just not to my taste. Right. It's not my cup of tea. It's not what I like. It's it not why I went the, there. The whole restaurant. Then I, know, I, there's yeah. no reason for me to go to that restaurant right. anymore, even though the food is still good. Mm. And I think that ultimately, I just am no longer in the demographic of Square Enix as a restaurant, as a sure. business, right? It's, they are not creating the type of game that appeals to me anymore. Hmm. That, that I mean, I've, that's been evident for years and years and years. But yeah, the problem yeah, yeah. was Final Fantasy VII and Nine and Six were so damn good mm. that you they were so impactful on that particular era of my formative years right. that I think a lot of us held out for a very long time that someday we would get what we were looking for from that time period again. And it's just clear to me now, I have given it chance after chance after chance after chance, that Final Fantasy is no, I am no longer in the target demographic yeah, for yeah. this series. It's not a series made for me anymore, and that's fine. It doesn't mean it's a bad series, or that mm. the video games of the series are bad. I wouldn't come out here and say any of the post-Final Fantasy X Square Enix Final Fantasy games are bad games. But they're just not for me. I don't enjoy them. I, mm. I never have a net positive experience with them. And this is no different, despite the fact that it's a whole different team, a whole different set of That's creators. what made it more hopeful at first. It was like, this yeah. is the 12 and 14 team, right? Right. But it's, but it's not because they're missing... A lot of, yeah. They're missing Matsuno, yeah, yeah. who was the one I was really attached to as a creator from yeah. that particular... Uh, side uh, or, or that particular branch team um, in the past. Mm. So uh, that being said, um, there was there's one other thing that I, I, that I was thinking about, and I wish I had had more time. This week was crazy for me at work. It was crazy. Um, but I, there, I, I've touched on this, brushed upon this concept as we've gone through, because one of the things they keep talking about is free will. Um, or, or um, you know, destiny or, or, or something like that. Is, is there a fate or is there a destiny or, yeah. or do you have the, the, the ability to choose or break free from that? And, and that's nothing new. I mean, that's just, that's a trope of this genre. Sure. And like you said, I feel like that has been handled in ways that are much more thematically interesting to me mm -hmm. in other games. Um, Near Automata is a good example. Now, before people bring up you just said you didn't like anything from Square Enix since 20, 2001 or whatever. <laughs> uh, I'm talking about internally made Square Enix games. Uh, Nier and Nier Automata were not. Nier and Nier Automata were developed by Cavia and then 
Platinum Games. Platinum, they were produced, right. distributed by Square Enix, paid for by Square Enix. Mm. They were not uh, developed by them. Um, so, anyways, tangent there, but I just wanted, I could just see people being like, what about this? Anyway, everybody has something else that, that they're kind of looking for, something they value in an experience. And I value thematic depth and richness probably above anything Me when too. we're talking about story-driven video games. Yeah, I'd agree. And I found this game to be thematically shallow. I just, yeah. I just did not think there was much to it. And I felt like, as I said, I brushed upon this a couple of times, there is plenty of really rich thematic space for this talk about yeah. is there such thing as free will? Yeah. Um, and I wish I had more time to prepare some materials to give you some examples of what I'm talking about. I'm, I'm talking about real world philosophy, real world, world people debating this yeah, yeah, point. Yeah, I've seen that, yeah. Um, one thing I can talk a little bit about there's a great, uh, and I bring this up a lot, but if you have not seen the series from Vsauce, um, Minefield, mm. on YouTube, uh, it used to be you had to have YouTube Premium to watch it. It oh, was really? a, a YouTube original that you needed to have that in order to access. Now I think it's been made, after a certain number of years, he's made it free to watch on his channel. So those playlists are all publicly available now. There's one episode where... Uh, they they hook him up like to a bunch of different sensors, and there's just a, there's uh -huh. a button on yeah. the table, it's just a single button, yep. and th they they sort of get a read on the brain, and, and they're able to get some uh, waves, some activity from what they think is sort of the subconscious mind, right? Yeah. And what's happening is that okay, uh, they don't they they you know. They do this in all experiments. They try to throw you off of really understanding what the study is really about. So yeah. they don't tell you yeah. certain things or about what this is actually doing. But they're just like, okay, um, you know, you just decide to press the button. Yeah. And if you you want to try to press it before it lights up, because the computer is going to predict when you are going to choose to hit that button. Yeah. Based on the brain activity it's reading from you, and the more it gets the sooner these, these subjects became more and more frustrated because the thing knew before they knew yeah. when they were going to decide to press that button. And that was very, that was very frustrating for people. Yes, yeah. because, because it brings into question whether or not you're actually choosing it. Uh, in, in like the peripheral, what you call it? The close the, the, perimeter? The, the, like the, the conscious the, mind. Yeah, yeah, but like the... Um, like if you're planning to do something in a week, yes, there's more free will there. Probably I think. yes. When it's like a fly just flew past your ear, and all of a sudden you scratch your ear, and you don't know why you did that, but it's because of fly. It's because of things outside of your control that is completely, yes, completely done within the subconscious without you even realizing what's happening. Yes. Um, yeah, I feel like there's like kind of different levels here, but the idea is that there's like a conversation to be had here. Yes. <laughs> about the where does free will kind of enter in? Because the peripheral reaction stuff, no. No, yes. basically, basically, no. You have no free will for that stuff. Yes. But as time or as you get further out, you know, peripherally, maybe concentrically outside, like, yeah, maybe there's a little bit more of it in there. Yeah. And I'm not even trying to necessarily give my opinion yet on, I, I'm, I'm undecided, but because yeah. there's, there's great debates online yeah, for yeah. either sort of interpretation of this data and different other studies that have been done. But the question of whether or not free will even exists is a very real, very thought-provoking question. Yeah, yeah. And 
it, it, it's and, and I, again, I wish I had more time to collect some of that to share with you today. Maybe next week I'll have more time for that. But the point is, trust me, <laughs> trust me, bro. <laughs> <laughs> There's some really great stuff there to yes, dig into. It's fascinating, and it, it's it's led me to this conclusion, to where I'm I'm not even sure how much choice we have as individuals about whether we like something mm, right whether we like this game or not because liking things is um, that's almost getting too close to that that um reflex yes. right like you see something you decide whether you can verbalize why you do or don't like something your mind's already well decided like that moment has passed yes you don't like the thing and now you're just left to try to rationalize why your subconscious mind already told you it didn't like something yes. and you're trying to like make up a reason for why that that happened and, um, and to reclaim some of that free will that's already gone. The truth is, is that this is the reality for most of our worldviews. Mm. Most people have already decided a long time ago what they believe. Sure. And so when anything comes out that is a, a, a controversy or some sort of, um, there's many ways to maybe look at this news story or uh, something that has happened People have already decided how they feel about it yeah, without yeah. rationalizing it, without actually yeah. making a solid argument or sort of basis for why they believe this. Yeah. So all they're going to do is jump through hoops and do mental gymnastics. Find I don't care. Yeah. I don't literally, yeah. I don't care which side of this you fall on. It doesn't matter. Right. This is just a universal thing. This is how humans are. We like to think that we humans are rational yes, beings. We're, we're very not. rational. This was an enlightenment idea from, uh, well, Hob well, maybe not Hobbes, but like Locke and the blank slate people, right? And yeah. Like, oh, we can just rationalize. Thomas Paine was one of these people. We'll talk about him at, in this episode um, because he talked about the age of pure reason. Right. Yeah, right. Uh, now that we're enlightened because it's 1700, we can now enter into a rational age of reason. Neil deGrasse Tyson talks about this a lot too. Yeah. It's like, oh, let's just be reasonable about everything and just uh, Steven Pinker, all these guys. And it's all about how rational humans can be. Um, and I feel like a lot of them are missing a huge, huge part of what it means to be human. And yes. that is that we are not rational beings. No. We are not very rational beings. I'm convinced of that. Yeah. I think that I to agree. look at this, and I've talked about this recently in the Nier Automata podcast, the state of our public discourse, you just look at the patterns of how right. people behave and how they reach their conclusions and why they think the things they do and there's just no rationality to any of it and, and everyone pretends like they are yes that's the problem yeah because it's like oh we're just not rational beings like just be okay with that just oh, so yeah. i like what i like because i don't know i just like it and i don't like this and i do like that um but where we get into a difficult place is when everybody starts to try to be objective about it and to to rationalize why they do or don't like something um and you can find reasons and th they may be there i'm not saying there's never a reason to or to not like something but you're doing reverse yes you're going here. back you're working back and to find out something that already that already happened in your yes. mind and you're basically psychologizing yourself when you d try to break down something to figure out whether or not you like it yes um, that, that's exactly where yeah. i was going with this is you already decided you don't like it. There wasn't yeah, yeah. a reason that you can now... Th th any reason you come up with for it is something you did after you already yes. knew you didn't like it. Yes. And it wasn't because of that. Right. So this you is... It's not like a thing happened and then you did some math yes. calculations and then came out with a negative number and you're like, oh, boo, I don't like it. No. Yeah, that, that already happened. That yeah. already happened. Yeah. So this is a very long-winded way of saying I have no intentions 
of justifying and rationalizing why I didn't like the ending of this game. And by the ending, I don't mean the oh, ending. I, mean. I mean the last act, the last couple episodes of stuff we've talked about. Why the the res the resolution, the 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 last third of the game didn't resonate with me. I, I don't, I, that's not the point of why we're here. So why spend the time and energy trying to create these uh, tight, like, perfect arguments to explain when there isn't. It's emotional. It's, it's, it's just feeling, how I it's, felt. Yeah, yeah. It's just how I felt. And that's not to say that y your feelings can't be changed, which is why I'm asking for people right. to explain right. why they felt the way they did and why I'm, I'm, I'm still open to reading more about some of the intentions behind the game. But yeah, yeah. as of right now, like, I, I just don't have anything that I'm, I'm not going to waste the effort in doing that when it's not even the point. So that's that. That's my rant. That's my opening <laughs> intro to this. Okay. I, I okay, don't good. like it. Yeah. And so I'm not going to waste a lot of time analyzing today. I think we'll go through your notes. We'll kind of summarize what happened. And maybe there will be some remarks here and there. But I, I, I'm not, I just, I don't, I just don't care enough to do that much work to freaking rationalize why I don't like something. Yes. And it's not even the point where we're we here. It's, it's hard to break out of your fate. It's hard to, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. to, to, uh, you know, and, and claim I, free will. And to say that there's a lot of thematic richness from this concept Mm. that we've already seen explored in games like Xenogears and mm. Nier Automata yeah. and that sort of thing, and other JRPGs that tackle the same trope. Although, but also, there's things outside of what has been done in the genre. There's way more right. philosophy yeah, that yeah, goes yeah. way deeper into this even concept of fate and free will that could have been explored. And I feel like the way that they talk about free will in this game is ankle deep. I mean, there's just nothing to it, yeah. personally. It's because Clive's the one <laughs> <laughs> trying to explain it. He's he's the everyman, you know. He's the Harry Potter. He's not he's not a philosopher. He's just trying to go out and do the right thing, right? Yes. So, with all of that being said, let's just kind of touch on. Let's just kind of touch on the summary here. So we left off with Odin defeated, with yeah. Bahamut, or I should say, um, Dion saving Uncle Byron back in yeah, Randala. Yeah. And he's he comes back to the the hideaway. Everyone sort of regroups there, right? And yeah. and uh oh sorry, no. We we haven't gone to the crystal yet. So th Joshua and, oh, and Clive Ash. Oh, and Ash. go into Walud. So they, they press on yeah, yeah. to go destroy the last mother crystal, right? Which is in Walud. It's Frodo Frodo and Sam. Yes. And Gav goes back with the woman they found in that Aisla yes. uh, town uh, to, you know, make sure that she's safe. So as you're pressing in, everything, everyone is Akashic, basically. And we'll, yeah, the yeah. whole freaking country has been transformed. There's ether floods everywhere. Yeah. Um, you fight a, a pretty fun fight, I felt, against a, a behemoth as you're sort of entering oh, yeah, that was the gates, yeah. right? Um and essentially, you're just trying to get to the crystal, and you're fighting a lot of monsters along the way. Um, and you eventually get into the crystal itself. There's a long bridge that leads to it, and they're kind of like 
soft targets as they're just pressing their way through here, but they got to do it anyways, which is, again, along the lines of just yeah. determination. It's just, you just do it even though it seems impossible. And if your will is strong enough, you'll yeah. find a way. Right, it's right, right. kind of like what, how everything is resolving at the end of the game here is Clive's will is just strong enough. His will yeah. is stronger than Ultima is claiming. The human will is uh, powerful. It's the most powerful thing. I think as sort mm -hmm. of a general sort of more abstract concept, I think that's fine. <laughs> uh, I, uh, and we talked about that last time. When you get into the details, it, it doesn't always make sense. That, yeah, that's yeah. how the, so the solution is just always his will is stronger. Um, but anyways, they get in there. And, or, or sorry, no, they're, they're fighting a big battle uh, right before getting to it. And then the, the, the ship shows up and Dion comes in and Jill comes in. And I oh, think even Uncle Byron That's the moment. In. That's the Aragorn with the black ships yeah, moment, right? right? Where it's like they're fighting, oh no, we're going to lose. And then the ship comes and out jumps, you know, the yes. you and what army? This <laughs> army. <laughs> and then, oh, my friends are here. Yay. And then, yeah. Yeah. The, fight, so the fighting continues. It's pretty cool. They're like, okay, we'll hold them off. You go in there. I and thought I thought they were going to go somewhere with this because um, Clive and Joshua have that moment where they kind of unite to push back a meteor that's like coming to kill them, basically, uh, like this like fireball, and they both like unite their powers, but not as um, Phoenix and Ifrit. Yeah. They unite just as men, right? Just right. using their combined power together. Yes, yes. And uh, Josh was getting really weak as the closer we get to Ultima. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I thought that there was a, this idea because Joshua kept saying, don't use your dominant, don't become the icon, basically. Yes. Um, and I was like, oh, sick. They're going to do this like people. They're going to prove that as people, they can beat Ultima and they don't need these dominant things and that, like, they can work together and all that stuff. Um, that turns out to not be where it went, though, yeah. <laughs> because just a little bit later... Um, Clive uses Ifrit, and I'm just, I was like, oh, oh darn. That was kind of going to be cool. Yeah. It was going to be maybe cool. Yeah, right. <laughs> but, um, yeah, they didn't do that. So, uh, one thing I did like is, you know, it's like, okay, we'll hold them off. You go ahead. All right. We open the gate, and Ultima's just standing right there. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just, this is uh, the second time in this sort of Ash sequence this particular since we've arrived at ash yeah. where the the villain just kind of like popped up when you didn't expect them yes that's and right it, odin and it was it. very effective yeah that's true that was cool uh, i thought the odin moment yeah. was a little more effective cuz he was like in the air yeah. on top of just like steed. oh crap he's right yeah, there yeah I, that was really really cool moment yeah i was i was a lot more frightened of odin uh, than Ultima. oh for sure yeah. i have no fear of ultimate <laughs> whatsoever <laughs> um i i will say this i i i, I feel like my feelings about the, the the balance being flipped between a net positive experience and a net negative experience, that trail downwards began with the introduction of Ultima as the villain of the game. Yeah. Because um, that was something that I think was very well hidden from yeah. all the marketing material of Final Fantasy Ultimate. 16. I was not mm. expecting it to go this route with its villain. Yeah. To it be a literal just a god you have to kill God with the, the, the whole trope of, of JRPGs, killing God with the power of friendship. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I, I really did not expect that to be what they would do with it yeah. based on all the trailers and some of the things I had read that they had said. Um, so I just don't. I, and, and I'm a huge proponent of the idea that your heroes are only as good in a story as your villains. 
Yeah, yeah. Which sure. is why I think the 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 heroes of Xenogears are so strong because the villains are so strong. Yeah, that's and I, right. I don't just mean their power level in the yeah, world. That's I'm not what it's about. about. <laughs> I'm talking about how well written they are. Yeah, that's how right. interesting as characters, how much depth there is to their characters. Like their reason for being a villain. That's yes. a big. That's a big part of it. Yes. And um, in terms of Ultima, um, his reason is no reason, just because. Because he can. That's his reason. Well, right. to survive. Sure, yeah. It's because he's, everything he did, Ultima did, yeah. was because his world was dying and it was a way of self-preservation. Yeah. It was all self-preservation. But there's just, and, and this is an artistic choice. I'm not knocking it, really. It's just it didn't do anything for me. He's just so unfeeling about everything. Right. There's just no, there is, there is no humanity in that character. He is something right. totally alien in as far as being in touch with his own emotions or driven by them at all yeah. or acknowledging that they might exist yeah and, and i'm not yeah. saying that that's a choice that can never work or anything like that i'm just saying in this particular case and in the way it was executed i guess in this game it just did nothing for me i never mm. felt fear when ultima was around no, because yeah. there was never really any malice in what ultima was doing that's right it, yeah he just was not a threatening presence at all he was a little creepy at first yeah but black eyes and that's about it yeah. Uh, as far as feeling anything for that character. And so the more and more it became Ultima focused, the less and less I feel like I liked where the story was going. And, and, and this whole last part of what we're talking about today is almost entirely Ultima focused. And so I liked none of it. Um, but I did think it was effective that they opened the gate to like run into the crystal and he's just standing there. He's just ready for him. Right? Yeah, yeah. And he basically just sort of like transports them from there to this area that I thought was very cool. I did a screenshot and sort of posted it on our social media and mm. stuff. Um, I forget the name of the area he takes you to, but I can't remember, but you keep going up these big staircases yeah, and then he like teaches lighting. you a little bit more about, um, where he came from. Yeah, all that. exactly. Th this yeah. whole section is, is sort of revealing the origin story of Ultima. And there's a lot of dialogue here. And again, I, I took note on none of it, but the general gist is that, He's like an alien god that came from another world and he created magic in that world. Oh, right. right. He right, introduced yeah. magic. And the consequence of introducing magic in that world was that it, it, it in turn created the blight. So his right. own world was so, destroyed by the blight. And the idea being that he knew that that was the result of using yes. magic on a world. So it's not like this was an accident. He, he, put magic into a world knowing that it would destroy the world on yes. purpose. That's right. We are in a rift, a rift between worlds. And it's really dark. Did you notice? Did you have to like change the settings on your TV because of how dark it was? It was very dark. It was extremely it dark. It was very dark. Yeah, for sure. So magic is the cause of the blight is ultimately what Ultima's saying. He came to this world and um, also blessed it with magic, right? Uh, and essentially created the human race. Yes, yeah. Uh, for the purpose of seeding in it the potential, the, an evolutionary potential for this vessel that he would need to cast the final spell. This is what um, yeah. Joshua touched on. I think that he, he's trying to cast a spell. This is what they say like right yeah. before they leave to go to the crystal. This is the spell to end all spells. Yes, right? which is essentially the creation of this new world mm -hmm. where the, 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 um, 
the blight won't be a problem. It'll be like this paradise. The problem is that the religion right. that was created that uh, Barnabas, Barnabas follows, they all interpreted it as those who were loyal to Ultima would go with him mm. after he casts this spell, which he needs the perfect vessel to be strong enough right. to cast, that uh, they would go with him to this new world. And Ultima essentially reveals here, no. Like, why would I take your purpose? I only need the vessel. Once I have the vessel, I can cast a spell and we go there. We, Ultima, go there, right? So it's, right, it's, 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 a, right. it's a paradise, a new world for me. That's it. It's, a, it's strictly about self-preservation. Yeah, yeah. So they have some arguments back and forth about, you know, you, you've condemned us for our free will, for our consciousness that developed, which you were not expecting or which it was a mistake, as you put it, to have slept through when this began to develop because we had no God to look to for guidance. So we had to create our own meaning. So we developed our free will. And now we do all of these atrocities and all this stuff you condemn us for, right? But it's all done out of the same sense of self-preservation as what you're talking about. Do you not see, I mean, can you possibly not see the hypocrisy of what you're saying? I think Joshua has a line more or less yeah, yeah. Right, right along those lines. How could, he, how could he not be conscious of his own hypocrisy in this, right? The idea of hypocrisy is like it doesn't, matter like to somebody to accuse somebody like ultima of being a hypocrite is like it's ju it's just what? a nothing yeah it's what's just the point? like what <laughs> i'm a what a hypocrite you mean you mean i do what i want to do and i will it into being and then i have yeah. it and i'm i'm being a hypocrite like it's like there's a whole different way of thinking a whole different sure. world that um certain people and specifically people somebody like ultima would um, um inhabit to where the word hypocrite, it's not even an insult, doesn't first of all. Apply. But it also, it doesn't mean anything. Yeah. It's just like, oh, you mean I get what I want after I do the things that I have to do to get what I want? Yeah. Okay. Rob brings up the connection here or similarity to Great Hine in Final Fantasy VIII, um, which, yeah, I, I did at least want to acknowledge that point because he's made it a couple times before. There are some similarities. Um, that whole lore is not really something explored much in FF8, unfortunately. They just kind of... <laughs> mentioned that it exists, but they yeah. don't really talk that much about it. Um, but anyway, yeah, there are some similarities there. So anyway, this this whole sequence is essentially that, is essentially Ultima saying that, and Joshua and Clive being like, no, again. <laughs> and then um, <laughs> Ultima yeah. more or less tries to take the vessel. Um, and, and there's actually a pretty cool sequence. I liked the way they went about visually sort of... Um, it's really abstract. Like, like Clive is sort of losing his free will and you see him like, like almost transported into these different scenes. He, oh, he right. sees some of the other like dominance again. Uh, but like each time that he seems to be giving into Ultima, like Joshua's like Clive and like kind of yeah. pulls him out again. And Ultima's like, Joshua's not supposed to be here. Like Ultima's kind of confused. Yeah, Ultima is like, wait, why? how are you resisting this? What's going on? Yeah. Uh, and, and eventually he pulls him all the way out. He brings Clive back fully yeah. to his full, you know, self-consciousness will or whatever. He's like, wait. Oh, and, and, and this is where Ultima says, oh, wait a minute. Is it possible that this isn't mythos? Is it possible that this is logos? This is the first time he uses that. Yes, term, the mythos evolves into logos. Yeah. Yeah. So, I don't know. I figured you probably had some notes on this. I do. Uh, mythos yeah. and logos, um, those two words are uh, very important. Um, so, 
back, you know, in the ancient Greek times, maybe 3,000 years ago, um, there were considered two ways to know the truth, right? There was mythos mm -hmm. and logos. And logos was the reasonable, like, rational faculties that right. where you can uh, discern truth through specifically rational, rational means. Um, but then mythos was the only way that they... Um, the mythos was considered to be um, the best way to convey more profound truths, more deep, deeper truths, mm -hmm. right? And that was through the stories, through the poetry, through uh, things like artwork, that you are able to um, convey truths of a different nature and more profound and deeper and more relevant truths through mythos than, through, than merely through logos, right? Yeah. Logos um, being maybe more objective and what actually sure. happened and then mythos being like what it means or yeah. like what are the implications or how does it uh, you know affect your life or apply to your life or something like that um so that would be the difference there and of course logos being in um the book of john the gospel of john that christ is referred to as logos right yes. and that is in the beginning was the word the the greek word for word is logos right yeah. and that christ is the logos that maybe a hint of something maybe in this game that's saying something like, oh, before there was mythos, but at the advent of Christ, all of a sudden logos became like more important, like that specific type of truth, right? Yeah. That was brought into the world, you know, the truth of the word as opposed to, you know, just the, um, the mythos and all that stuff. Um, and that Clive has kind of like grown to embody this more like logos vision of the future. Right. And that's why Ultimate's talking about like a new age of reason yes. and stuff. Mm -hmm. And that's um well that's a reference to a book by Thomas Paine from two hundred and fifty years ago. I think it's called um The Age of Reason or the A New Age of Reason, something like that. Yes. And the idea being that we can get rid of mythos now. <laughs> we don't yeah. need mythos. We have logos and we've we've honed it to a specific point. Science, you know, has gotten us to this point where we can just do away with all of the um, stuff of the past, all the tradition stuff, all the religion, all of the God and all of the uh, beliefs and the myths and stories. We don't need any of that because now we have Logos, right? And Logos is going to lead us to the future and lead us to salvation and yes. to all that stuff. Right. Um, and it's interesting that he talks about a new age of reason, right? Mm -hmm. That Ultima's talking about that. Yes. He's supposed to be Logos. He's supposed. Yes, that's what I was going to. And get I at. think that's what is that's, that's happening here. Why he gets angry? Because if you look at him, he's basically a robot. <clears throat> he's just like a little computer with no emotions. Like he he does not embody mythos. Mythos and Logos were supposed to combine to create this yeah. thing, right? And instead, Clive has kind of like usurped his power from him. Yes. essentially. Well, yeah, it's and, something and like it's that. It's a representation that the human race itself has sort of taken the taken the place of God. Oh, right. In, in Ultima's mind, right? Like he, yeah, yeah. in his mind, I'm the God, you're the creation. You're supposed to do this. Yeah, yeah. I'm Ultima. I'm the logic, yeah. but you're the story that the logic yes. is like. Yes. You're telling, just, you're playing. just, you're my creation that was made for a specific purpose. You fulfill yeah. that purpose. Yeah. You're, you're, that's all you are. <laughs> yeah, you're But done. Clive is proving that he has become the Logos that Ultima thought was his role. Yeah. Right? I think, I think that's So right. Mix has an interesting point here. He says, I do think intentionally or not, FF16 is going for a secularization narrative, the move from mythos to logos. Yes. From I have mythic that. thinking to rational thinking, the yes. move away from being under the gods to human beings free to live for themselves, all point towards that. I agree with that. And I think I, that's I think, what the game is trying to say. Yeah. I think that that is why he be 
He start, he well, at first Ultima wants to deny this. It's not possible for you to be Logos. Yeah, you can't be Logos. You are Mythos, and and, yeah. and he hasn't accepted that. Right. <laughs> he yes, doesn't yes. want to believe that's possible. Yeah. Because the whole time his whole thing has been, you human beings, I didn't create you with free will. I didn't create you to be Logos. You you you're just mm. these little things that do my bidding. I I'm the master. You're the you're the pieces on the board. You do as I say. Yes. I'm turning you all back Akashic the way you were supposed to be, where you just do my will. Right. You don't have wills. They're, they're meant to embody the mythos, right? Yes. But if they embody the logos, well, this is what Mick said here in the comment right here. He says that um, once um, humans become the logos, then they have no need. Yes, for a god. <laughs> for a god, yeah. yeah. Exactly right. So, yeah, I mean, I think all of that is uh, on point. I think it's all pretty obvious as to kind of where they're driving all of this. Um, and so, uh, essentially, at the end of the scene here, um, he takes Twinside, the city of Twinside, and, and which is essentially like his vessel. I don't know if you'll call it his spaceship or whatever. He raises it into the sky and yeah. crystal forms around it as the final crystal's destroyed because you do destroy that, that last mother crystal. Yeah, he makes like a cocoon crystal. Yeah, which is called Origin, which is where essentially the last boss is going to be fought. Um, okay, so before we get into that, into the final boss, there are a lot of side quests, like a lot. Um, I mean, so I mean, a lot, like more than 16, 20, something in that range of side quests that come up. Um, a lot of people, hmm. as I was leading up to the end of this game, would continually say, you, please do all the side quests. Don't miss them. There's a lot of very important context, character resolutions, things that you need to see in order for this game to feel complete when all is said and done. Um, I did them all. I don't know which ones you did or did not do. Um, I, I, I just, again, sort of feel conflicted here. I, I just don't know what to say. Yeah. I, I didn't find any of them to be particularly great. I thought that they were mostly serviceable. Um, there are a few that did a, a fairly decent job of sort of wrapping up some loose ends. It's not like they're bad. I mean, they're all, like, decent. It's just that I was expecting... Based on how people were talking about it, I was expecting them to be, like, excellent. Like, really oh, yeah. excellently written or something. And I think there's some nice moments. Like, there's some nice moments for Clive and Joshua. You know, there, there's, a, there's a, 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 a sort of interesting one just with Torgal, where Clive goes back to, like, kind of an island he used to go to with Torgal when he was a puppy. And, mm. and um, they made, like, a little treehouse and he goes there and sees some old items from his past when he was a youth. And, and uh, Torgal had brought certain artifacts, whether it's his training sword or um, other things there, and had kept them in the treehouse. Uh, you know, Torgal, through all these years that he was separated, never stopped looking for Clive and, and uh, had tried to keep some of their, you know, like important sort of paraphernalia or whatever, yeah. right? Uh, and so there's some interesting things. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying nothing that made me go like, oh, wow, note-taking time. Let me think. Let me break that down. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just didn't. I'm not seeing what other people were seeing in that. So I don't have a lot to say on it. And I know that's going to disappoint people. That's why I tried to lead off the whole episode with I'm sorry. I can't do what you came to this podcast to have me do today. Mm. I'm going to have to give you guys that role now. You're going to have to help me. Mm. <laughs> I, I've fallen into the pit. You're going to be the one that <laughs> to drag me out this well, yeah. <laughs> Like I just, I just didn't see it. I, I just, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not connected to the characters. 
I'm not thematically connected to the game. I just, I'm not seeing anything here that I feel a spark to talk about. But I did do them all. So were there any that you did that you took notes on or anything no. at all? No. Um, my notes are completely um, not related to that at all. Uh, so. Hectic Tangent is asking, was that before or after the ending? These are all side quests that happened before, before. the ending. You have to do them before the ending of the game. Um, if there's anyone even here in the Discord live with us right now who has um, feelings on the side quests, things that you'd like us to discuss. Sure. Uh, hey, hey, I, as I was playing, I had these thoughts. And this is, what, this is, again, my invitation to our audience. Anything I'm saying here where I'm saying I didn't get much from this and I'm just brushing over it, and you have something that deeply touched you about it, share it. Yes, please so do. So that please then do. I can have something to talk about. Because if yeah. you say, hey, well, what about this? That might spur something for me to then be able to discuss. I'm really relying at this point on the book club nature of this podcast to have something to say, which is why we're going to do a final episode after this. Well, you know what? That actually, there, there was something. There was something that I did take notes on here, and that was about, about Jill and the flowers and stuff, right? Um, I just... I mean, I'm not entirely sure if that was a side quest technically or not. It was. Okay. It was. Okay, the okay. flower See, quest. See, sometimes I have a hard, yes. like, I, it just, it all goes the same That was a mind. side quest. But, um, yeah, going to the hill and being like, hey, I'm going to take Jill to this cool hill. And then, oh, shoot, there's no flowers anymore because the, the, the blight has completely swallowed up the lands and there's, there's nothing more of that left. Um, and so he basically goes through, you know, asks a ton of people and finds out that there are still some of those flowers left somewhere else. I can't remember exactly where. Um, and we end up going there. Uh, with Jill a little bit later on and she says oh it was so it was like you know I don't know it was like the the moment that she fell in love with Clive is when he took her away from the group to go climb that hill just to go see those flowers mm -hmm. and they never actually made it right so it meant a lot to her and I thought that was a pretty touching scene I thought it was pretty cool yeah uh, some people have brought up some things in the discord here uh, for two scenes in particular that I, I remember taking notes on um, but we must not have gotten to it last week. Um, or maybe I had taken a note in my mind. I was going to take a note on it and, and then never got around to it. So they're talking specifically about the Vivian's final quest, which is about retrieving that book. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. That, that details like the real history of the wars fought right. between the bearers and the non. -bearers. Yes. Cause then we learned that there was a, there was a whole war. Yeah. So this was actually really important because one yeah. of the reasons why bearers occupy such a low place in society isn't because naturally people just said, Oh, you can do magic. You're our slave. Now you're lower than dirt and yes, we hate you. That's not Instead, how it it's like they, there was like an X-Men kind of thing yes, happened where it's like yes, exactly. the humans versus the mutants. Yes. And basically the bearers ended, ended up losing. Yes. And that's why they're treated in such a harsh way. It's yes. almost like a, it's almost like a, we can't let that happen again, right? Yes. Ooh, those bearers almost destroyed our way of life. We can't allow that to happen again. And in order to keep it from happening, we have to take these extreme measures, keep them low. Yes. Don't let them think that they can do anything. Yes. All that stuff. It was very interesting. That, yes. that, that shed a ton of light on how this all happened. Yeah. I thought that was cool. That changed my whole opinion on how I felt about the setup of this world. Yeah, with the yeah. bearers and dominance being treated as subhuman and subjugated. It, it felt like, well, how did you go about that? And, and I think the X-Men um, <coughs> comparison is very apt. Yeah, that's with Magneto trying that's, to... That's the best way to sort yeah, of yeah. describe, like... 
without having to get into a ton of detail, yeah, essentially yeah. The, the, the scenario. The second X-Men, right? Or the third? Well, just oh, the, the X-Men story in general, the comic books, like the whole thing right, is about right. there's these mutants who have these powers yeah. that, that makes us humans feel Lesser. inferior. And we Magneto. We can't let that happen. Our governments right. have to interfere right. and discriminate and like basically do this. Yeah, yeah. Th that's the world. Like no that, mutants. Boo the, mutants. The, yeah. Yeah. It, that's a, basically exactly what this is. Yeah. So they had a war in which they lost. And so it's like, well, if the, uh, what, what Magnet Magneto's going for in X-Men yeah. is a war against normal humans, right? It's like, no, they're the defective Imagine yeah. that they lost. What would then the governments of the world do to mutants? Right. Concentration yeah. camps are used oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. as a as a, an analogy all the time for where mutants are afraid this is going. Right. And that's ex essentially exactly what happened in this world. So I liked that. Something like that. Yeah. yeah. I actually, I, my only critique is that I wish that this had happened sooner. Um, because <laughs> Explained this earlier. I went like, what? This world doesn't make sense for like 50 hours. And then finally at the end, I'm like, oh, the world can kind of makes, I don't know how the bears lost the war, but maybe there's less of them. So, okay. well, and the fact that this is a completely optional side quest to begin with. I know at the very end of the, the game. very end of the game. Like, okay, okay. I just, wish that they but you know maybe not everybody had the same issues i had with like wait why is the world like this yeah yeah exactly but i'm glad it was answered at some point yeah and and i also liked that there's this sort of secret organization that goes about with the purpose of collecting any books or any yeah. record of this and keeping it hidden yes that's right from on the world yeah. And, and their whole reason for this, it, and it ties all back to the whole confronting the shadow on a larger scale as a society, right. they think it's just better that people not know this. Yeah. Right? It's yeah. just like, what's the point? Well, obviously the point is we want to change it. Like we want to make <laughs> equality for bearers and we want people to feel guilty about this because it, that's what's necessary for us to make the change. Yes, to but integrate. Yeah. Their whole thing is like, no. Uh, we can't have people confronting their own shadow yeah. uh, about this. We can't have our society confronting its shadow about this, and so they're trying to. Well, they keep think that it'll hidden. the war. It'll start the war over again, right? And it's like it's one thing. Maybe maybe the humans can know this, but what if the bearers start reading these books? Yes, um, they're going to be like, oh, what we we used to be a noble a noble group that could you know challenge our masters. It'll give them ideas, and then the war starts all over. And, and it and it undermines all of the religious factions that have arisen that were so, like that that um, solidify this system, like oh, the Grieger right, the sect and everything, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, which you know uh, the empire used. So it, it undermines our current um, systems, our current uh, governments, our current religions. This knowledge yeah. would would like basically make all of those things look guilty right? Yeah. and empower the bearers. And we don't want that. So yep. I liked all of that. Um, yeah. That so that, good, I that thought that that was nice information. Um, then there's also the side quest with Dion and um, um, Harpocrates, right? Which reveals mm. that Harpocrates was from the empire and was originally his like personal teacher, tutor. Yes. Yeah. Taught him personally. Taught yeah. him growing up. Yeah, that was interesting. That eventually um, Dion abandoned his studies to lead the Dragoons and, you know, yeah. get more into the military and that sort of thing. That they, The nice thing about this particular one is that they both seem to have this idea that the other 
thinks badly of them because of how this all went down. Right. So they don't talk to each other, even though they're there hmm. and they were once close. So they're both projecting yes. their own like um, shadow feelings their onto each other. Guilt onto each other. But it's yeah. just a projection. Yes. Right. They both. Yeah. That's yeah. interesting. Dion has no hard feelings about any of this right. toward Harpocrates. Harpocrates has no hard feelings no. towards Dion about what happened yeah. and the fact that he killed everybody in Twinside. Um, right. But they both don't want to face each other because they're of their own guilt, right? Yeah, and they yeah. think the other will, must think badly of them. Yep. And so because you, secretly they think badly of themselves, yes. like in a way in their shadow. Yes. I, Subconsciously. In, in Harpocrates' case, I should have done more yep. um, to reach in, out to him, to get through to him, to help him bear the burdens yep. that he was bearing. And in Dion's case, what I've done is so unforgivable. I can't face somebody I once respected like that. Right. That's right. You know, so I liked that. I, that was I, cool. I really liked that a lot. And so the quest is to go gather a wild, what do they call them again? A wyvern tail flower. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, which is again, the symbol of the empire. The wild ones are not white. Like the ones that they keep in their gardens, the harsher the environment they grow in, in the wild, they get more of this purple hue to them. There's something right. beautiful about that too. Yes. Yeah. So through the hardship, right? Yep. The, there, there's like the lotus. Sort of. Uh, I don't know. There's some more. There's more color to there's it. There's more beauty. Yeah. And, and it's a darker thing because it's been through harsher. Right. And so it's all used as a symbol. Harpocrates yeah. wants to give this as a gift to Dion, as a symbol of who he sees Dion as, someone yeah. who has gone through the wild, harsh environment and has this beautiful color as a result because of the hardships. Yeah. It's still a wyvern tail. It's still beautiful. It's not white, but it's still beautiful in its own way because sure. of its environment that yeah, it struggled right. to grow in. And um, cool. Dion essentially refuses the gift because he still feels like he's not worthy of it. Right. But he changes his attitude a little bit about how he's approaching this final mission. He's no longer necessarily approaching it as a suicide mission, as a, I have to die to find redemption in this. Right, game. right. I could come back from this and accept your gift if we ultimately kill Ultima. Yeah. Obviously, he's still willing to, and he still does. Yes, he, but he does. He, he's not going into it solely with that as his intention. Yeah. Uh, because you allowed you you facilitated his reuniting with Harpocrates and allowing them to talk. Yeah. So. And by getting over that projection of their own shadow on on each other, um, Dion is able to forgive himself a little bit more as well, right? Yeah. Because when he confronts what he thought was, you know, when you confront your own projection and you realize that that was just you projecting, yes. uh, then you, you're face to face with your shadow, yes, right? And then it does, I'm not saying he's, you know, he's, he's still guilty till the end of his days, right? But um, that uh, he was given the opportunity to kind of um, maybe forgive himself a little bit because right. that was himself who he was judging the whole time. It was never Tomes. Right. Yeah, and so, you know, I don't know if it was last time or the time before we talked about how he started the process of confronting his shadow, of taking responsibility, but maybe he's going a little too far. Oh, with, right. With how much he was punishing himself in, in yeah. that attempt to atone. That's right. And yeah. now I feel like he's approaching it from a healthy point of view because of this conversation. Right. So he's confronting the shadow now in sort of a healthier place of taking responsibility rather than in a, I'm going to uh, punish myself for what I've done. Um, because I deserve it. Right. Yeah. So I liked that. Yeah, that I, I thought that was a, an, a nice moment. So I thought then, both of those were handled pretty well. There's another one that I guess I'd bring up here is the um, Elwyn. There was um, a letter 
that he had written, yeah. right? To, mm-hmm. to yes, Joshua that was Clive. the last of the Cyril okay, side good. quests, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, basically, Elwyn had this plan to free the bearers, basically. And um, I, I thought it was very interesting because... Yeah. Um, like to, to completely free them, not just like yes. we treat them better in our... But part, they're still our but slaves. There was, yeah. a, there was a further sort of plan in his mind of... Uh, you know the whole the whole of Valisthea becoming free of this slavery system. That yeah. that was his long term goal. Yeah. So um, this because I got it. <clears throat> I just got really upset after that Odin fight about how Clive um, how <laughs> I came up with the name for him, uh, Klein Randfield. Um, He's got Ayn Rand in there. Anyways, so Klein Randfield, uh, <laughs> his complete rejection of like any like service to a higher cause yeah, or sure. anything but just complete individualist, self, yeah. yeah, self like um, I do or what is it? What was it? In, uh, just radical individualism paired yeah. with mm-hmm. this um, Cl- Klein Randfield. Klein so. Randfield, man. <laughs> so Klein Randfield, um, but he's not like it that much. It was just that fight. <laughs> but I started to think because of that fight that that was going to become the theme of the game. Was yeah. basically like Klein Randfield all the way. Yeah. And then yeah, on the right. other end is Ultima, and it's just like you know, let's join with each other and all become one. And Klein Randfield is like, no, let's all stay as individual <laughs> as possible and never help anyone ever. And um, I had that sour taste in my mouth a little sure, bit from the Odin yeah. fight, and so a lot of my notes here are actually re- relating to that. Uh, so even earlier on, like when before they cross through the gates, uh, Clive and Joshua are talking, and Clive is saying like, "Oh, we're almost there. We're we're just about to accomplish Sid's dream," yeah. and then he stops and he goes, "Our dream." And yes. I'm like, "Wait, you telling me that you all united as one under like Sid, and yeah. that you're all just kind of serving his purpose, and yeah. like, oh, but it's my dream too, but it wasn't before Sid. I know. Okay, so you kind of adopted somebody else's ideas as your own, but you're still pretending that you're this radical individualist, yeah. like super free will, you know, yeah. Klein Ranfield. <laughs> <laughs> and and um, it just left this weird sour taste in my mouth, and so um, I a my logos, note there. A logos chooses a mythos base. <laughs> A Logos chooses a Mythos obeys. Oh, I love that, man. I love Final it. Final Fountainhead 16. <laughs> These are great memes. I'm loving the memes. Keep oh, keep the memes coming. Okay. <clears throat> These are good memes. So I, I just kind of thought it was funny. It kind of seems like Clive is doing Sid's will and has adopted Sid's will as his own, and it's Sid's will that drives them. Oh, but it's okay to surrender your will to good things, obviously, just not bad things, like God. <laughs> okay, okay, so you can see where I'm coming from, right? <laughs> right? <laughs> okay, so, so, <laughs> when this Duke Elwin quest shows up, and Duke Elwin is saying, I wanted to free the bearers, and he said that if the whole kingdom just worked together, yep. all is one, if yeah. Everybody gave up their own individual will and their own individual wants and desires and, and instead put their all of their energy and efforts into what I want to have done. And if they all kind of gave me their will, I could do this amazing thing, right? And it would be hard, but if we all work together, meaning if we all become one, if we all unify, if we all serve each other, but the greater good, which is the ideal, the ideal being free the bearers, then we can accomplish something, right? Yeah. And I, the whole time I'm thinking, but didn't Clive, didn't Clive just go on this big rant with Odin, like basically railing against that exact idea yeah, right. of, of giving up your will to serve some greater cause other yeah, than yourself, right? <clears throat> so I, I, I think that was a mistake in the game. 
as it was presented to me. Yeah. <laughs> this game was not written to be presented to me um, in that one scene <laughs> with Odin. Basically, that one line, that one paragraph yeah, from right. Cloud. It just, it just like killed, almost killed the game for me. <laughs> I, and I, I wonder if they knew what they were doing or if they didn't realize what they were doing when they had Clive say something Take like that and then yeah. never walk it back. He just, he just isn't that radical ever again. But like, he never like, oh, you know, it's okay to serve sometimes. Like they never had, it's like, it's almost as if there's no awareness that that happened yeah. in this game. There's no yeah. self-awareness of, of, on the part of Clive or the game developers that like, we just posited this hardcore radical, um, like, um, What's Ayn Rand's philosophy? Objectivist. Yeah, objectivist. Objectivist philosophy right into the game. We just dropped it like a bomb. And uh, we're just going to ignore it after that and <laughs> pretend that that never happened. But I, and I wonder how many people outside well, of particularly like, this for, podcast that would have yeah, even, that would even that. noticed that, right? Well, and in particular with a very collectivist sort of um, society from which you know, this game is coming from... In Japan, yeah. It's coming from Japan, you know, where generally that is the answer, and it is. It's the answer to this game, because it's the answer to every JRPG. Work together. Coming together. Coming together under a unified principle. Yeah, Yeah. it's kind of all built into, well, even just like the turn-based nature of the games, a party of characters, people all contributing to a role, and you need each of those roles in order to succeed against the villain who tries to do it all himself. And so, like, that's, that's clearly, like, the answer here uh and 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 even joshua who punches him in the face you shouldn't do this alone oh i have something more to say about that you need to rely on all of us together this is our world to save not yours yes like obviously they They know that that's where they're going yeah but yeah clive doesn't seem to embody any of that as his answer to odin's pontifications no <laughs> in that scene and you could just say oh clive just said whatever to get odin's goat so he could win like yeah, okay I guess so fine it, i don't it didn't seem to be presented that way yeah it seemed to be presented as like here's the theme of the game right the lead character is standing up you know a speech. i think you're right that that is a pretty confused point thematically for the game because in the end clive kind of does end up doing it himself he ends up taking I guess. Joshua's power at the end. Isn't that weird? And That's how it ends up happening. Yeah. He ends up doing it himself. Yeah. And I, it, there's, there's some confusion of the theme happening here. I, I agree with and you. And I think I it's at least in part, the Final Fantasy, the genre, the genre, it's almost a genre, the franchise trying to reconcile itself against its past self, right? Yeah. That it's, it's now this individual, you're controlling one person, and it's a hack and slash, okay, it's not totally hack and slash, but it's like a an, single an action, solo it's action It's a character game. action game. It's a character action game with where you control one person now, but it never used to be that. It no. always used to be party focused and, and turn based and all of that. And, and also, it also the, the games mostly used to be marketed more towards Japan. Now they're yeah. marketed all towards America. Yeah. And it's like, there, there's almost like this, uh, this idea of like a tearing that's happening within this franchise of like, oh, we got to appeal to the Americans and they love their freedom and individuality, but we also are Japanese and we only, you know, we, we want to write a story that appeals that. to we us. We believe in yeah. collectivism. And, and there's yeah. like this tearing apart that starts happening, I think, and that we're starting to see it in multiple levels now, especially now that the games are just, you're just controlling one single character throughout the whole game now. And yeah. of course, in the end, it's like, yeah, you got to do it all yourself. But they gave you their spirits. They gave you the blessings of their icons. So they're all sort of participating. <laughs> it's the spirit bomb, right? Dude. But that's them giving their will to you in a way, right? Yeah. And so that's, anyways. Um, well, it's the thread of consciousness, I guess, that Ultima yes. talks about. The stronger that is, 
you know, the, the harder it is for him to get hold. So of you can those. say, oh, they all were kind of there with him in spirit, right? Anytime you did yeah. an, an Odin attack, <laughs> Barnabas was right there with you. Um, anytime yeah. you did a, yeah. um, a, a Rama attack, that was, that was the real Sid, right? And, um, but it just doesn't feel that way. It feels more just like he just did this all himself. We had this whole talk with Josh um, about not doing that. And by the well, way... Well, because well, when you're fighting thing. the final boss, there's that whole scene where, like, you go through each iconic phase, and it's like someone yeah. talks and says, like, good job, you can yes. do it. Which is a very, again, almost tropey kind of thing for JRPGs. It's yeah. like everyone... It, it is the spirit bomb of Dragon Ball Z. Yeah, it's yeah. everyone on the planet <laughs> yeah. contributes yes. a little of their power, their, 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 their chi power yeah. to Goku's giant ball, which was enough to kill the guy. There right? you go, man. It, it's, it's essentially that concept... But again, yeah, it's like it's like they're trying to do both. They're things. trying to do both. Yeah, and and they're missing when you when you have a seven ten split in bowling, <laughs> and you throw the ball right down the middle. Nothing happens. You miss both. Yeah, right. And I I feel like maybe that's where some of this tension's coming from. Now, as for Joshua punching Clive in the face, yeah. the comments on the latest uh, podcast that went up, which I think was episode nine, just uh, yesterday, yeah, just right? Went up um, like fifty percent of the comments were, the reason why Jill wasn't killed by Odin is because Clive hadn't taken her blessing Power, yet, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so when Josh finds out that Clive took Jill's blessing, that opens Jill up to now be killed. Oh, I see. And that's why he punched her, or he punched. Clive in the face. So that's what that's what he meant. By, Maybe right. Um, you knew full well what it would mean because uh, actually this makes a lot of sense now. Right. Because, right. Right. Because no, no, no. It makes sense because um, Clive set up Jill to be the one guarding the ship while they went in on foot. Right. No, that's right. And mm, a protection right. for Jill as being the guardian there would have been not taking her Shiva powers. Right. Because, because then. Odin wouldn't have killed her, or, right. or, or I don't know, Odin's whoever, whatever royal navy who goes out there to fight oh, her. Oh, yeah. They would have had orders. Don't wouldn't collect her. have killed her because yeah, you yeah. can't do that. Mythos hasn't gotten the power yet. Um, so it's not so much because, I mean, I, I read a few of those comments. Hold or, on, I, hold on, hold on. Sig is saying the timeline's wrong, and you're totally right. No, no, you're not right, because no, no, it was no, after no. they fought Odin. No. Yeah, 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 no, it's th- after the timeline's they fought correct. Odin the first time. Because that's after he gets the blessing, right? And uh, Odin takes her hostage, right, and draws Clive out. Yes, um, but he never kills her, and we were like, why didn't he her. just kill her? And then, That's why. And then when they fight him again, and then, you know, they, they, she freezes them a path to Ash, yep. and then he takes the power from her. Then so they go now back can to the hideaway. Her. They go back to the hideaway, and they make a plan. Yeah. And that plan is, Joshua and I will go on foot with Gav. That's right, that's right. And uh, everyone else will wait on the ship with Jill, and Jill will protect the ship yeah. with her Shiva powers. Now, we were debating whether or not he was mad because, well, she can't prime now without losing control. Because that's what happened with Garuda, and that's what happened with Titan. Well, sure, and, yes, yes, and uh, and everything else. So now she um, can't prime. Now she can't con- defend herself as well. That's what we were thinking. I think it's but, both sides but to that, though. It, but yes, it's true that now that he has taken the power from Jill, that opens her up to be killed. She, he, the, the, that's that's no longer a protection for her. That she still yeah. has the power Mythos needs. And I that makes think sense. I think Joshua and Clive both kind of understand that at this point. That like oh. Ultima wants us to get all the powers. I think they know that that's what Ultima's, Ultima is pushing them to do, right? Yes, and, 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 but it doesn't really take away from any of our criticisms of that scene. 
which were, I think, that from a sort of technical writing perspective, they're speaking knowingly to each other, which is good. But it's just yeah. there's, there's a lot of context behind why he's angry that I think... I mean, you, you, could, probably, you could probably say it's obvious, but I, I think that... Um, I don't know. I, 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 I guess that's not really... There's no point really going there. The point is to say that that makes sense for Joshua to be angry now. If, if his motivation behind More that was, now there's no reason to keep her alive, or our, there's no reason for our enemy to keep her alive. Right. She can be killed now without recourse. Why did you do that? Now, Especially when... Alan, Alan's saying, well, he didn't express that. I know, I'm just saying, uh, it, it still doesn't make sense that he punched Clive in the face, even knowing that. Yeah. Um, but it's a little bit more understandable, given that. He, he, has, he has a reason to be angry. Really, yeah. really angry at that. And, and that does make sense to me. I, I actually, yeah. That actually changes how I feel about that, having that sort of perspective on it. Um, so I, I like that as an explanation. Because uh, you know, it's like, you hit back. It's like, no, why don't you bring her with us? Because, again, the whole idea is use us. Because I was, I was upset that even in the first place, the very first encounter with Odin, that he tried to fight him by himself. And you guys stand back. It's like, why are you not, right. you, why are you not fighting with them? Yeah, yeah. Right? Um, and, and I think that's what Joshua was saying too. This is not your freaking world to save. This is yeah. not like just you. You're not the hero of the story. Like we're all involved in this, right? And but in the end, it, it, it ends up being that he does physically do it all himself. But like they just yeah. give their, they pray <laughs> for him. I guess they they, they, <laughs> they they shower him with their prayers. Um, anyway, so good point. Okay. Thank you for bringing that up. I think that's worth talking about. Oh, and there's another thing here. Jill says after the Daisy scene that after everything's done, she's going to want to go somewhere other than the twins and spread her wings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She is, wants to, is to there, leave. Valestia. Is there somewhere other yeah, than the twins? Yeah, so there's okay, there's go. that other continent that um, that Barnabas and his mother came from, right? Oh, that's neither. Where, where they? Yeah, it's outside of, gotcha. of okay, the good. two continents. For some reason, I thought it's some other land. Good, cool. Yeah, that's where the, right, the she can go there. The, the Ultima religion had survived basically okay, okay. in those regions. Hey, that'll be that'll be a great place <laughs> for Jill. <laughs> oh, seriously, yeah, right. <laughs> to go to a freaking circle of Malleus, theocracy, freaking kingdom. That'll be a spread, great place. Spread your to wings, man. Get away from. Um, hey, there's a lot to do there. A lot of work to do. Okay. Things are a bit scattered. Let's get a little more focused here. Okay. Well, my next thing is they all say goodbye and then we're off to fight Ultima. So. Okay. Is there anything else nope. from the side quests? Nope. Uh, someone did bring up in the in the Discord here the the mid side quest there, which was all leading oh, up to that? this idea of making the ship fly. Oh, Which right. didn't really go anywhere. Yeah, yeah. Because the ship doesn't fly. You never no. get an airship in the game. Yeah. It's... <laughs> Thanks, game. <laughs> Thanks, game. <laughs> for for giving me the idea that there might be an airship and then not delivering. And then not having it. Okay. So if that's the case, let's get into the final plan and, and then, like, leaving. Because there's something here that it bothers me, too. So they all get together and they're like, okay, we got to go up to Origin. We got to kill Ultima. Oh, yep. it's way up there in the sky. How are we going to get there? Oh, uh, we have two dominants here who can two turn into winged. winged. Yeah. <laughs> what, yes. what do you mean? <laughs> uh, uh, but they do bring up a good point because Dion basically like uh, volunteers to do that. But Joshua brings up, wait a second. 
If you prime, and you've had the power taken by Mythos, just like all the others, they lose control when they prime. I'm still oh, so right. effing confused by this whole freaking power of Mythos to Me take too. the icon. Because they, they can still prime into the icon. Okay. And in every case, they still yes, can. Yes, they can. Um, if there's not one case in which that's not the, that, that doesn't happen. If you're a good guy, you can still control your icon after you, after It's that. the whole will thing guy, again. It's then the you whole, can't control will strong enough, which I just, it doesn't yeah. work for me, man. Because right. it's like, are you telling me that Benedicta didn't have a strong will? Are you telling me that Kupka didn't have a strong will? I mean, maybe you can make a better um, argument for Kupka because... His entire motivation was all kind of more around Benedicta. He just wanted to be with Benedicta. And he kind of just yeah. fell apart mentally after she died. But you're telling me Benedicta didn't have a strong personal will. She seems to. She seems to. Okay. Yep. So That's it a good seemed, point. It seems like it point. to me. Yeah. So oh, yeah. If, if she wasn't able to control her icon after she primes when the power is taken from her, mm. that's the, the exact concern that... Joshua brings up to Dion, like, there's a chance you won't be able to control this. You'll go berserk like they did. And he goes, well, maybe I'll just have to have a stronger will than them. Okay, Something let's like do it. that. Yeah, that's pretty funny. That's all he says. Yeah. And so I'm thinking they're setting something up here where there's going to be some struggle. There's going to be, I don't know, something happens. But no, he literally just easily transforms into Bahamut. And, they're and they just take they're off there and there's... there's there, there, what the okay. fetch, dude? Okay, there should have been a quest where you go out with Dion into the field, and then they're like, hey, let's control, let's see if you can control it, right? And at first, he sucks, he can't control it, and we have to, like, fight him, and then beat him, and then we do the Phoenix thing, and then we're like, hey, he turns back into a dude, and then Jill's there, and everybody works together, and then we kind of, like, tame him, and then yes. he slowly learns we, we get how to, to him or something. do it. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. Okay, we're gonna go out, into, yeah, we're gonna go out somewhere safe. Way where there's out. there's no civilians. Yeah. Way far away from a city that you can destroy again. And he'll be so outnumbered that prime. you can't. All of us will also prime and we'll fight yes. you and we'll try to get through to you and get you to <laughs> gain control again. That or would something be cool. like That'd that. That would be an interesting side quest. Where it's like the power of friendship <laughs> was required. <laughs> yes, but still, right? yeah. Where they had to work together. See, once again, the game keeps shunning the idea. They pay lip service to the idea of working together, but they don't give us a lot of the physical working together. Like, it's, yeah. Yes. So yeah, it, they just he just yeah. does it, and and I feel like so much of the end of this game has kind of just been washed over with this concept of well they just have strong enough wills to just do it. Yeah, Dion's will was just strong enough, so he controlled the Bahamut even though his Congrats. icon had been taken by Mythos, whereas the others before couldn't. Just because he's he just has stronger will, guys. That's it. That's the explanation. It's just not good enough for me. That's not good enough an yeah, explanation. Yeah, me too. And if I'm wrong, and that's not the explanation, you've read that freaking 5,000-page ATL, and you can tell me the reason. Again, my invitation is still there. Like, <laughs> help me understand it. But I, I, I don't. I do not like that whole concept of relying on a database to explain this kind of thing. Oh, yeah. It should yeah. not be required for me to read the database to understand something like this. How did Dion control Bahamut if the entire thing with Mythos taking the icons is that that's the result? 
Because after he took it from Benedicta, the next time she primed, she lost control. Yeah. He took it from Titan, the next time he primed, he lost control. Ham says it's not, not in the ATL. Okay, so, so it's not even in the ATL anyways. And he, he's saying he did read every entry. Yeah. So there are so many things like this that feel like they just hand wave or just don't bother to explain or try to hand wave with this free will or strong enough will thing. And it, it just doesn't do it for me. It doesn't work. It's not enough for me to feel like it's a satisfying explanation. Um, and, and this just kind of continues all the way up through like what Metia ends up being in the world. That was very disappointing to me, but we're not there yet. Um, <laughs> yes, absolutely. Okay. So anyway, you get up. It's basically just we're at the final fight with Ultima. Yep. Um, there. They all they all prime. So you got Bahamut, Phoenix, and Ifrit all fighting against. Yep. The cocoon crystal. Okay. So at <laughs> first I was kind of confused because Ultima transforms into this sort of ultimate Ifrit form. Oh. And right. I'm sitting here going, I thought the whole point was that you needed a vessel. You have one already, but I think this is the husk of Ifrit oh, that we yes. saw. Hanging, in the, hanging on the wall. Yeah, yeah. I, I think he. It's like yeah. the old vessel. So it's not. It it's it's been old and it's been used, and so it's not strong enough to withstand the final spell. Okay. But he could still maybe use it to fight them. That was kind of what I got from this. Is like that must be the explanation for that. Mm. But I thought it was weird that he's just like, oh, he's got an Ifrit form, and he's more powerful than three of us fighting him. So why does he need Muthos at this point? <laughs> why does he need the vessel? <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, think that that's, I think that's the explanation. Anyways, he beats us all. We can't fight him uh, as three individual icons. They're just not strong enough. This is where Dion ends up self-sacrificing to save yep. both of them. Dion ends up Dion and Dion. D so D-I-O-N. <laughs> so I wonder, I wonder now. I wonder... <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if I could have predicted oh, that he man. would die just based on his name. Just if you happen name. to misread his name, uh, Diane. Oh, I mean Dion. Is Dion gonna die? <laughs> and have this like moment of realization. <laughs> yeah, that didn't happen. Anyways, yeah, he died. But Ultima Prime got thwarted. Dude, at first. I, I love this little gif that Gus has shared. Skill issue. It's it's like Phoenix getting jacked. <laughs> uh, yeah. So there's a skill issue here. These dudes are not good enough. Uh, no, not exactly. To, to fight Ultima. I did just realize something, though, as we've been talking. You know, all these, the husks of these gods live in this origin space, right? Yes. And the origin was, like, under the earth, right? And so you could say something like that the planet, the society, the people, the planet had... Um, a subconscious like shadow that was hidden underground, hidden under the earth, wherein in the collective unconscious and elsewhere lie these gods that were subverting civilization and that they had to make the unconscious conscious by bringing origin up out of the ground so that you can see it and you can deal with it uh, head on. And then you end up as you're fighting with Ultima and these um, if Ifrit and the husks of the former um, icons, what they used to be. Um, you are essentially challenging the subconscious of the planet, right? Mm -hmm. Because this was the creation of uh, life and of the planet itself, I think, right? Yeah. And so, I think just life on the planet, though. Um, and then you end up um, making the unconscious conscious, dealing with it, integrating the shadow, 
all of humanity doesn't do it, but like five people do it. So that's like maybe good enough. And then there is something that does hook into something like a Carl Jung theme uh, within the fact that these these uh, beings were latent underground and then were brought above ground as we end up sure. fighting them. And then once we destroy them all, now we are all just rational, rational conscious beings with no, <laughs> with no, uh, you know, issues whatsoever in terms of, you know, gods or spirits or any of that. Sure. Well, I'm so, being, being facetious, facetious right, on that, that part, that by the way, because that's not what happened. Um, in anyway. fact, if you went up to Carl Jung and were like, oh, I did some work on my shadow and I killed, <laughs> I killed my shadow. I killed all the parts of my shadow. They're that's, gone. They're dead now. You missed the point. That's not <laughs> it. you like, you killed yourself, dude. <laughs> okay. So Dion dies and, and you kind of drag or, or I guess help Joshua into sort of the inner sanctum where the heart of this origin crystal is at. Um, yeah. And uh, it's there that it is revealed that Ultima was not a singular being. And I, I never really thought right, of him that right. way because um, I thought of it as like a hive mind or something like that. And that seems we, to be close. in this sort of general hive-mindy oh, kind of sense. outside of him. Yeah. I see what you mean. He refers to himself as we. There was yes. somebody who bring it up. It was obvious that there were multiple Ultimas in the game all along because of this. But I'm like, that's well, not necessarily obvious because we in, in the hive mind sense yeah. is not, there's literally copies of every single individual. So every individual is connected to one mind. Right. But no, in this case, there are literally 16 Ultimas. Six, and that's why we kept running into him yeah. throughout the game. And I was like, wait a minute, he's trapped inside of Joshua. Mm. No. What happened was is that they each kind of turned into a crystal, a mother crystal. Ah, uh, right, yeah. And as each of those mother crystals were destroyed, that Ultima, one of the 16, was then released to then come back here into origin. So the one that we yeah. encountered when we destroyed Drake's head was that a different one. Then when we fought Typhon, that was one of the 16 Ultimas. Ah. So yeah, and 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 Joshua trapped him thinking he trapped Ultima, but it was just the one Ultima. Uh, the other 15 of them were still around that's or in the lot. other mother crystals I, I actually, or whatever. I didn't even realize. That's that. <laughs> that's what that's why we kept huh. physically running into Ultima in all okay. these different places because okay. there's 16 of them. Because that's, of because of FF16. That's yes, and also <laughs> the, the stone the, of Arette. The stone of Arette with the 16 Symbols on it, and that's where yes. um, I had mentioned before that that interpretation was almost uh, certainly wrong. Yes, it sounds like it was actually right. It, so that's kind of cool. Well, not in right the way we in thought. The, not in the way we thought, <laughs> but there are sixteen ultimas. There's sixteen individual ultimas yeah. that are that would combine into, in the end, the the god ultima. Yeah, it, it, they are a collection of sixteen individuals that are we. Yeah, that is ultima. Whatever alien species he is, or whatever. Yep. <clears throat> so, so Ultima that wanted was kind us. of a cool reveal. Well, yeah, that was. I, interesting. I thought that was good and I'd, a good explanation for the thing I was confused about the whole time. <laughs> and I just thought it was great. Ultima wanted us to destroy the mother crystals all along, and that's yeah. a, that surprises no one. <laughs> not, no, not at all. Not in the least bit surprised. I mean, I kept saying all the time. It, Clive kept being like, oh, but if we destroy all the mother crystals, then he won't be able to. It's like, no, that's exactly what he wants to do. I know. It's, it's doing exactly it's what he wants. It's getting worse. It's getting worse. Anyway. 
Um, yeah, so the act of destroying the Mother Crystals was essentially setting free each of these individuals that then returned yeah. to origin, and now they're all going to combine. I mean, I got that they were all separate. I just didn't realize they were all supposed to be the same individual, essentially. Yes. They were all they were all the we that we were all referring to. Part I didn't of realize the same that. individual. I thought it was more and of a, so a different thing. The last, the fi the 16th, the yeah. last Ultima was the one trapped In inside chest. of Joshua. He, he like so he says, welcome, like welcome home, brother. And then he comes out, and yeah. it's like, okay, we're all reunited again. Let's turn back into God and yeah. like fulfill this purpose we've been waiting for for all these years, and freaking create our paradise world. Take back wait, our vessel wait. and create our paradise world. Wait a second, they they all this is so that's a that's a sort of a spirit bomb idea too. Yeah, there, there's a collective right? element to that as well. Yeah. So they're. There's 16 of them all fighting as one, and then there's Clive fighting on behalf of, like, eight, yeah. eight people? Yeah, so the, 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 the whole plan here was, in order to create a perfect world that has magic and no blight, that's their whole point, because they know, right. they, they introduced magic. Yeah. Ultima created magic. <laughs> but the problem is magic brings the blight, and it destroys their yeah, world. Yeah. So we need to cast this spell, which will create the perfect world that has magic and no blight. Perfect. That's what they want. In order to do that, they need an absolute F-ton of ether, <laughs> and they need a vessel that can withstand using that much ether to cast a spell of that magnitude. Yeah, which was Clive. Yeah. It, so they created the human race to have the ultimate vessel yep, the archetype. be bred through that, yeah. and then all of them turned into mother crystals, which sapped all the ether from this rich new world they found. So they spent, I don't know, millennia, drinking the ether of this planet, mm. waiting for the vessel to show up. Then they would all come back together. The amount of ether needed and the vessel that could cast it would be brought together. Bam, we can create our world. That was Ultima's plan. That was his motivation. That's what it was all about. So we get that, right? That's what he explains here. Cool. Joshua's like, oh, crap. I can't believe it. Confound it. I didn't yeah. see Con it again. Confusticate it all. <laughs> There was baggins. more than one Ultima. I didn't uh. trap the guy. There was a bunch of them. Darn. So, you know, that's kind of a cool reveal. I thought that was interesting. Um, yeah, that was but then you just get into the same tired argument at this point with Ultima about free will and not. And we are the same. Our self-preservation is no different than yours. Yeah. No, you're just my creations. Shut up. You have no free will. You're not Logos. I refuse to believe that. No, <laughs> yes. I do have my... I'll show you how strong my will is. They just do a bunch of that. And yep. there's a three-phase fight, which is not bad. Um, it's kind of cool. I, I liked I liked it. As far as the boss itself, the mechanics of the fight. The yeah, yeah. Spectacle of it, I think, was all fine. Um, but then you come to the end of that, and... Uh, there were some pretty interesting lines. I didn't take them down because just of my overall feelings well, of the game, but I did kind of like the last lines between Clive and Ultima. Yeah. As he's like laying there dying or whatever. Like, congratulations, you've delayed the inevitable kind of... A, <laughs> you, 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 you won your freedom, but like, you're just going to freaking die from the blight and kill yourselves. Good job, dude. <laughs> right. And, and Ultima sits there expressionless. Yeah. He's not like expressing any emotion. No, he's no. Just, he's just like. Just like, oh. okay. I think he says something like, I congratulate you. Almost like sincerely. Congratulations. But like, what did you actually win? This is what you fought for? Well, like, this, is this really worth it? 
Like, yeah. th- it was really worth fighting that hard and struggling that hard to inherit this world where people are going to suck <laughs> yeah, and that's a good point. enslave each other yes. and die from the blight anyways. Well, um, this harkens back. This is a note that I skipped over a little bit, but um, uh, Joshua talking with Clive about what do we do once this is all done, assuming we succeed. And yeah. this is where Joshua brings up what he had said before, that analogy with uh, the bird in the cage, right? Uh, he says that freedom will become the new chains that bind us. And then Clive says, we'll, we'll break those chains too. But break the chains of freedom. <laughs> it's like, oh, we'll. Well, anyways. again, okay. the whole point we're, is, it we're just going to skip over that. We'll just find a way because friendship. our will friendship. is what makes us human. Yeah, the human will oh, is powerful, and that's it's the more most less, powerful thing yes. in the world. It's pow- more powerful than you. It's more powerful than your magic yeah. that you in- introduced here. It's more powerful than anything. And I don't yeah. have any answers because I'm Clive and I'm not that freaking smart. Yes. But I have a very powerful will. I yes. am the emblematic of that. I am the perfect human. I am the perfect um, example of the power of human will. So whatever freaking point you're bringing up, it doesn't freaking it matter, doesn't matter. Because <laughs> we'll just figure it out when we have to. That's true. Yeah. That's yeah. it. Yeah. But that's the nerve. That's the, um, what would you call it? That, you remember how they never made any plans before they just kind of chucked yeah. it and <laughs> went in to yeah. go to Heroes don't crystal? need plans. This goes back to Final Fantasy Three. Because <laughs> their will is, they can do it, right? They can do whatever they want to do. So, okay. Oh, God. But there was, also, there was also the whole line about faith, right? How Ultima didn't have enough faith. Yes, um, that's right. That it is, and this goes back to, what would you call it? Milton's Paradise Lost, where the, uh, the job of a creator is to love his creation and then to um, mm-hmm. in return deserve love back from the creation something like that right yeah. and that's maybe I'm you know not saying it perfectly but Clive is kind of responding back to uh, Ultima in that way saying like yeah. hey you made these things but y- and you expected us to believe in you and have faith in you but you never had faith in any of us right yeah. I don't know what to make of that I, I didn't really um I don't know what to do with that line well, right there, that, that but was, I thought it was interesting enough to bring up. That was kind of another explanation for why Clive is able to best Ultima, because Ultima has no followers. There was a religion. There was once a bunch of people that had faith in him, and, and there's that whole concept uh, in, in you know fantasy um, literature about gods deriving their power from belief, right? It's like the more people believe in you, the stronger you are as a god. I felt right. like they were kind of touching on this, and 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 yes, like the, yes. and, and in the literal sense, gods yes. lose power as people stop believing in that particular religion or yes. whatever, right? So and so there's a there's yeah. a there's a, a sort of a abstract way to think about it, and then the the the, the, the fantasy ideal is to take that abstract thought and make, and it, make it a literal concrete. Thing. Yeah. So there there is something there's some element here of the fact that Ultima. Ultim- ultimately is not as powerful as he thinks he is because nobody has faith in him and he didn't right. give his creations any reason to sure. have faith in him. Yeah, he didn't give yeah. them, he didn't provide them with any guidance. He didn't provide them with any love. So why would they give him what he needs to be powerful, which is their faith, their loyalty, their, yeah, yeah. their will. Yeah, sure. To give their will to him. Yeah. Which, uh, which is what Barnabas did, but which almost nobody else does because they ultimately know Ultima is going to kill us all. <laughs> Ultima's bad. Like, we, we won't give him our will. We won't give him our faith. But Clive has that. He has that from all the people he's helped. He has that from 
you know, everyone who's believing in him, and that's kind of that whole montage sort of part at the end where he's going through each iconic phase, and you hear the voices of the people who believe in you saying, you can do it, I believe in you. So Clive yeah. can beat him because Clive has the faith of people and Ultima does not. Right, he's got people behind him, yeah. yeah. Um, in, in a way, you could say Ultima didn't... Oh, I don't know. I'm not even going to go there. Okay, so there's that line. The line. There's that line right there. What did there. you think of that line? <laughs> the only fantasy here is yours, and I shall be. We, as we will we, be its final. We witness. will be its final witness. And he like kicks him in the face or something. Right? I think that's where he finishes him off with a big sword move. Or, or okay. no, no, it, no, it is a punch. I think he's he laying just down. Punches him really, really hard okay. in the face. Boom! Yeah. And, and you get that whole slow motion. The shot fire of, punch. Yeah. And then the you fire like, punch. Punch, 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 punch. You have to hit square a million times. <laughs> I hate that. Like to punch him as hard as possible. Oh, that was so funny. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was funny. And then, <gasps> is this going to be the final fantasy? Yeah. It, it was lame. It was it was real. It was real cringy. And I hate that term. I hate the term cringy. But that that's what it was. <laughs> yeah, that was... Um, um, it was not good. <laughs> oh, which also probably mentioned, Joshua gave his life willingly to Clive and then gives Clive even more Phoenix power than Clive possessed at the time. Don't know exactly how that works, but it works here. So Joshua gave his will entirely to Clive. Oh, you're talking um, about the very end? At the very end. Because Okay, so this no, is no, what I think. No, no, well, even, okay, after he realizes well, okay, no, that no, he's no, dead. This, this is what explains the difference between the blessing of the phoenix and him taking the power. Because he did both. Because he had not done that yet with Joshua. Okay. So when Joshua's dying there at the end, he's, he's, like, he's basically, take, take my, my phoenix yes. icon like you did all the others. Yeah. Because I'm not... I, I can't, I'm not going to live. So there is I'm a gonna difference. Die. Yeah. So you're, you're, it's up to you now. So I was the last one who hadn't given up or you hadn't taken the power from you. Yeah. So the blessing of the Phoenix, which we see in the, like sort of the ending here, like yeah. Clive remembers. In the memories. Yeah. His, uh, you know, his memories of, of Joshua from the time he was born, yeah. which I kind of liked. That, that was kind of a cool sequence. Um, the blessing of the Phoenix is something else. I saw somebody give a pretty interesting theory that you know how um, like Benedicta could could sort of spawn those the harpy harpy ladies yeah, yeah, yeah. that was just an ability she had okay yeah and then like um, freaking Odin could do the same thing with, with like creating slip the Slipnir Harbor yeah, guy yeah, that's right maybe the blessing of the Phoenix was just that particular thing that the For Phoenix that. dominant gets. That's cool. It's just something that is huh. an inherent latent ability in the Phoenix. So the Phoenix can give his blessing to his first shield. And huh. that's a different thing than what Mythos is doing in feeding on or absorbing the Eating. power of the icons from the dominance. Yeah. So he received the blessing of Phoenix, a different thing hmm. earlier in the game. He now is taking the iconic power from Joshua, or Joshua is willingly giving it to him the way Jill did yeah, yeah, here at right. the end. So it, they were different things. I think the reason this is so confusing is because they didn't work this as a separate element into the character progression system. The blessing right. of the phoenix it doesn't, yeah, acts right. as an, a, a way to gain fire abilities in the game yeah. in exactly the same fashion <clears throat> right. That all the other icons do when you take the power, take yeah. the iconic power from them. And that was what created the confusion on the difference between the blessing and what he was doing. But anyways, that clarifies yeah. that point. They are different things. And so Joshua gives the icon to, Cl to right. Clive at the end, and then he dies. Dies for real. 
Well, maybe. Well, he dies for real, yes, but then Clive <laughs> has the phoenix. Yes, that's right. And I think what he I don't gains know what from that is the Ray's ability, which yeah. is what he does to Joshua at the end. He heals that's him with that cool. big hole. And like uh, I'm, my interpretation of this, and and it's left open for interpretation. We're going to talk about that in a minute. The okay. the effectiveness or not, who who died, ambiguity, or who didn't and die. all of that. Yeah, the, the, they're not answering it on purpose. So they want people to discuss it. This is a marketing tactic that Square yes. Enix. I'm not talking about SquareSoft. Square Enix has been employing from yeah, the beginning of right. its con conception. Um, the, uh, Tetsuya Nomura has talked about Spread this in interviews. Mouth, yeah. We want to create stories where the answers are not given and people then go online and discuss it. And this is all uh, a matter of um, hmm. getting the game to spread uh, sort of organically, right? And, and people sort of doing the marketing by talking about it for them. This is 100% the reason that they do it. Um, so there are a lot of things that are not in any way sort of definitively answered in this ending. Yeah. So let's just talk about the facts first and then go back through okay. the interpretations. He does something in which he heals Joshua. Joshua doesn't wake up. Joshua doesn't, we don't see Joshua. No, again. yeah, Joshua doesn't wake up, but he, he... stays inside of a crystal that gets destroyed. <laughs> yes, the whole crystal gets destroyed. So but, there are reasons to believe either way. Yes, but, but at the very end, there's like kids running around like... I'm going to reenact the war against the gods. <laughs> and uh, there's a book on the table that was written by Joshua. Yeah, at the very end. Yeah. So there's... It, Ro yeah, Rossfield? There's a... Um, now, did he write that before he died or... Well, did he did he write it at all or did somebody I know. pen it did in somebody his name? Did somebody use his name? That's part of the... What this is all part of the point. They want you to discuss. Because <laughs> Clive would, would sign Sid for all of his stuff, you know? And it's sure, like, but yeah. Sid, Sid totally died. Okay, so... Clive then, in doing that, in healing Joshua with whatever phoenix power he used, he says something to the effect of, oh, maybe this vessel wasn't strong enough after all. He starts to see that he's petrifying. Oh, right. Like, he, mm -hmm. he was not a vessel strong enough to withstand all this ether after all. Oh, so the gods were screwed either way. Maybe, maybe Ultima was freaking wrong. Yeah. Maybe yeah. even if, if Ultima's plan had worked and he had reunited with Mythos, he still would have like that. That vessel still might have not been strong enough to create the perfect world without. Right. He, then he might then have still been foiled. Just go to another planet. And try again. Do it all again. Yeah. yeah. Anyways, I think what he realizes is, I have literally all the power of mythos, logos, whatever. Hmm. I have all the power of magic is like embodied in me now. No. And even I'm not strong enough to withstand what I'm about to do. And so he's like, okay, well maybe with my, my, the last of my strength, what I can do is just destroy magic altogether. Just get rid of it, because magic yeah. is what created the blight. It wasn't the mother crystals per se. It was Ultima's it was introduction magic. of magic into this freaking universe in the first place. He brought magic here, and it destroyed his world. He brought magic to our world, it's destroying our world. Yeah. Magic is what needs to go. Yeah, so... So Once again, this something. is like the FF6 kind of thing, right? Yes. So it's like, get rid of, you know, un unenchant the world, get rid of magic, get rid of the gods, and then it's just humans, and humans are great, and then technology and everything's, like, um, going to be better, right? And that's kind of like a thesis that yes. is more or less posited here. Um, <clears throat> it's one that I just, you know, it's, I don't, 
you know, it, does, it doesn't do much <laughs> for it. me personally. Yeah. Um, I prefer, you know, I don't know. There's like, uh, but a lot of Japanese, um, like like Studio Ghibli, like they 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 try to reenchant the world. They don't want to get rid of magic. They're trying to like help people see the magic of the world and all that stuff. Um, whereas this game, it's more specifically, and this could be have something to do with um, just the word magic and Western connotations are slightly different from in Japan, where the word, you know, uh, maho or something like that is the word ma almost has a specific like evil implication in the idea that it's the power of the demons, basically. Um, so there could be something like that going on here. Um, but I can't imagine like sitting down and watching a movie where it's like, yay, they got rid of magic. There's no more magic left. <laughs> and everyone's clapping and oh, shedding tears and so excited. There's no more magic. Can you believe it? I never thought I'd see the day where there was no more magic. <laughs> and um, it just doesn't do it for me, you know? I just don't like it. Um, I, I could be reading it wrong. I... I will get into... Because obviously this magic was destructive, but... I'll get into some of the reason why I don't, maybe next time, but it, it's in mm. relation to the fact that the bearers, the reason why they were, you know, treated the way they were is because they had this inherent sort of latent gift of magic. And the way in which we make everyone equal in the world is to take that away from them. That part of their identity as a, as a group, as a group that yeah. should be protected... We're just going to make them more like the rest of us. Well, instead. that okay. So I that, didn't like that no, as a me solution me to the bearer problem. Right. At it's all. like let, pe but but that's that's very collectivist, and there's something um, yeah. specifically Eastern about that in a in a way. Uh, but you know, for a long time, societies, specifically ones that are trying to be collectivist, um, have they try to like bring the bottom up, and that's hard slash impossible <laughs> and it, it becomes realized by a lot of these very powerful and sometimes more communist leaning regimes that you know it's a lot easier to take these special people and bring them down and just have the baseline be the lower least common denominator as opposed to bringing all the people on the bottom up in society mm, right I see and saying. so especially in terms of something like the bearers or anyone that's special or unique or the people who are you know high up like in Cambodia it was the landowners and whatnot um, yeah. and it's easier to take people down it's way harder to build up a society to where everyone yes. can be equal on a high level but it's way easier at least in the short term to just take down all these special people and bring them all down and yes. now be like oh we're all equal now and it's like yeah but so not in the best way rob is bringing something up that i wanted to add to this so I'm, I'm glad he's saying it um in universe magic promised bearers really horrible painful deaths um so there is that element of it to consider taking that away from them is not a Obviously a bad thing. I just don't yeah. like the, the element of this that I don't like is not um, It's not like a, a, a lore issue. It's more an issue. Uh, it's more like a thematic, thematic problem. Yeah. Me too. It's like I don't like uh, Yes, bears don't from, have from, to use magic from the lore perspective. Good point, right? They were they, being forced they don't to have to use it enough to yeah. Lead to this horrible painful that they can just use it Subtle subtly or, or just yeah. when necessary or something but the point is yes from a lore perspective taking away this thing that kills them horribly is fine but the 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 from relating it from the game's theme into how can we apply this i don't like that what it essentially equals is will take away what makes them different or yeah. special yeah. and just make them more like the 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 majority group. Yeah, yeah. We'll take away mm. what makes them yeah, a minority well group 
and will yeah. make them in more like or identical to the majority group. Yeah. I don't like that. And then call that progress. Yes. Yeah. But yes, I mean, I think that's a, a fine point to bring up and to consider as a piece of nuance to that discussion. Um, magic isn't the problem. People are the problem. And the right. problem is never solved. That's a great point. It is, but you can't. I mean, once again, movies, art, like good art, needs it needs to give us some hope, right? It can't, it can't just be about how bad people are. Mm. Um, that isn't going to be first off it's not useful but art doesn't always have to be useful um it's just not going to speak to the human potential right and you can try you can make art that just it does that um it's just it's uh i'm sorry i'm not gonna collector said magic doesn't kill people people kill people oh shoot (laughs) put up the meme put up the meme oh what is that from uh uhf i think Well, it's the whole thing against guns. Guns don't kill people. I do, and then he holds his gun to the to the (laughs) camera. Guns don't kill people. I do. Yes. Wow. Oh, that's good stuff. Anyway, um, okay, let's continue on. So, Clive wakes up on a beach after. Oh, but he takes all of Ultima's power, though, right? He kind of like absorbs Ultima's power. The Ultima. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, he destroys this crystal. Or we just. Destroy the crystal. He wakes up on a beach. On and a he's full moon. Petrifying, yes. Doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter. We'll get to that in a second. It doesn't matter. We'll get okay. to that in a second. Yeah. <laughs> we'll get to that in a second, trust me. But the moon's full. A full moon means like hope or something? Like it's I, full, I, I like fetching whatever. full of I light? I don't care. What, what matters <laughs> is he wakes up on a beach and he's petrifying because he used yeah. the la- all this ether and magic and he wasn't able to withstand it. And he's petrifying and he's dying yeah. on the beach. Yep. And then we cut back to the hideaway, and uh, Gav is there, and I keep forgetting oh, her that name. Girl she gives gave birth, birth, and he's like, "Oh, awesome, the baby!" Yeah. And Jill and Torgal are looking outside, and you see Metia dim. I want to make a very yes. fine point it on the fact that it doesn't quite completely disappear. But was it, it but supposed it wants to? to? Maybe suggest it's gone, but they cut away to they keep cut. it ambiguous on purpose because they're bad people, like Christopher. <laughs> like Christopher. <laughs> Like Christopher Nolan at the end of Inception, he's like, I, well, he I want just, to talk about that. He just wanted to cut so that you would feel uncomfortable. I'm going to talk about that exactly. Okay, and good. I'm going to talk about Final Fantasy VII as well. Okay, good. And ambiguous endings in general. But we yeah. don't quite see it completely disappear. No. It just fades. If we're talking factually, it, it, it might have been they. They just didn't show it long enough and it would have disappeared. It's the whole question of we did, don't the, know. did the top fall or not? Yes. Okay. We get it. But we do ambiguous. know that Jill runs away crying. She she takes it. this as a sign that Clive is dead. I believe so, yes. And she runs away crying. However, the sun yeah. ends up rising yes, at the end the of the phoenix is the sun. And also, in, the, in that side quest with her and the flowers, they do have some dialogue in which they talk about the dawn, and they talk about him making a yeah. promise to return, and that the dawn was sort of symbolically tied to that promise. Yes. And he did make a legitimate promise before they went to origin at all. He's like, I promise I will return, right? And so the dawn comes up, and she stops crying, and it's almost like she's taking this as a sign that he's not dead. So they've yes. left this up to interpretation. Yes. So... That's where the game ends, and you get credits, but then there's a final end after credits scene where we're some uh, unforetold period of time in the future, 
Um, and uh, there's no magic left. The boy's trying to like actually use Tinder to freaking light a fire. Isn't life so much better? <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, oh man, I wish I had iconic abilities to just use magic. Like, oh, that's, Have you been so, reading that's a silly books? story. Yeah. That's not real. Uh, from the book Final Fantasy written by Joshua, Joshua Rossfield that these Rushfield. boys are reading. And I think it's not uh, you know, on accident that these boys are meant to sort of resemble Clive, Clive and, and Joshua, Joshua yeah. themselves as they're out there playing and, uh, you know, what, what have you. In the world humanity. moved on without magic. Humankind is just fine without it. In fact, better off without it. Uh, they oh. survived. They've gone on uh, and things and the world, the, the blight is gone. It seems so to be the gone. The world yeah. has survived. There's flowers and birds chirping. And, so uh, but the kid, magic, as the kid is trying to start the fire, he goes, man, I wish I had the flames of Prometheus. <laughs> does he, oh, does he say Prometheus? No. Or does he say Phoenix? I don't remember. I didn't take the, you would know better than me. I didn't take I the wrote, I didn't quote it. I just wrote, he wants the flame of Prometheus. Okay. So you might I, have been speaking symbolic. I, I, was that me? This was two weeks ago when I wrote this note. Was that me or was that um, the kid saying that? I can't remember. So we'll get, we'll get back next week, I guess. Or I'll double check on this and cut this from the video yeah. if it's not the case. Um, but <clears throat> the almost the issue of like people being the problem, not magic, is like here we are. These kids are going to grow up like wanting magic to return, basically. Yes. And that's like the sin that it's coming back. It's going to come back because the, there's a place in the human heart for it, right? Sure. You didn't get rid of the problem with humans. You just got rid of the, of the overt, like, technical issue. Like, if beings like Ultima exist, there's more of them. There's other planets that died, and they're coming, and you're going to readily be like, oh, Prometheus, give me the flame, and this whole thing's going to happen it's all over again. It's a cycle that repeats it will itself. Be. It will be because they didn't get rid of the actual issue, which was that the mankind still longs for the flames from Prometheus. Okay, so that's the ending. Yeah. Now, um, I was really disappointed by the Metia thing. So I, I've read yeah. interpretations, people's different interpretations of what Metia is. Yeah, I've read that too. I've read it being just a symbolic sort of thing of the, yeah. idea, the idea of magic in the world, right? And, it, and once magic is gone, it sort yeah. of goes away. Uh, I've seen it as a symbolic representation of Jill's hope. And that, uh, you know, when that dims, she loses her hope. I've seen it as it's a literally some kind of satellite or mother crystal at the moon, which yeah. when Clive destroys it, right, Clive goes there and destroys uh, that, that's what ends magic. There's all these maybe. different ways to Ooh. fanfic what the explanation <laughs> of what it is. But the, it, the game does we, not explain we it. We just don't care. Now, maybe, uh, maybe a DLC, DLC in the future will explain it. There's some planned. I don't know exactly what's going to come of them. Yeah. So we don't know literally, no. as far as a canonical lore explanation, what that star or not star, no. the, that satellite around the moon is. We don't know what it is. And that upsets me tremendously. Yeah. yeah. And, and it wouldn't. It wouldn't. I would be fine with it being ambiguous and being left to interpretation. Mm -hmm. and all these explanations, oh, that's cool theory. That's cool theory. If they had shown it two times, if they had shown it, in the scene where Clive and Jill, she's wishing upon it at the very beginning of the game. Right. That was scene number one in which this moon and the star is featured. Yeah. And he, she talks about what Metius' purpose is. It grants the wish. It's the mediator between the it's gods like, yeah. and us. And we. it's a conduit through which our wishes go to them. It's like a relay. Right. Well, okay. but that's I, that's one of my notes. I thought. Okay, so that's one scene in which it appears. And the second scene in which it appears, and we never freaking have it 
framed up perfectly to suggest it's important ever again in the scene where Clive and Jill are at uh, the beach. Not at the beach. At um, at um, what's his name's Murdoch's wife's house, and they're looking oh, up at it yeah, yeah. and they're talking about he, how like, remember grabs, this. Yes, yeah. if they had shown it in those two scenes, and then it had been relegated to just being some symbol of hope for Jill or uh, the, the, the representation on this world of magic. And now that magic's gone, it disappears. If it had just been something like that, just this ambiguous thing, yeah. just a symbol that is used to represent the fact that magic has come to an end in this world, I would have been totally fine with it. The problem is they very purposefully, very often, kept directing you to look at this as yeah, if it is important to the plot. Yeah. You need to take note of that. Let me show it, uh, just in case you haven't uh, taken note of this yet, let me show you again for the 7,000th time. 7, I can't That's admit. important. Yeah. So Look at that. Have you looked at it yet? Look at it. It's important. Yeah, we're going to hold for five more seconds on the moon <laughs> until you realize there's a little red dot there. Um, so the concept of Chekhov's gun, right, yes, right, is that if you show something really important in the first act or if you show something that seems to have significance, such as a shotgun on the wall of a house in the first act, then by the third act, that thing needs to come down and be used, right? Then and let's also add to this, because, like, that this was Anton Chekhov who came up with this principle, yes. right? He was a yeah. famous writer. Um, but there are others like Hemingway who like rejected that whole thing. So okay, okay. There, there's criticisms of Chekhov's gun, and this isn't exactly Chekhov's gun because no, they because did do something with it's, it. It's not obvious. It like, just yeah, yeah. feels like it because yes. it just does not even come close to amounting to the importance that it promised to be right. in the way that they show it. So it, it, it feels <clears throat> like Chekhov's star. It feels like that, even though it yeah, might not yeah, technically yeah. be that. <laughs> it feels like that because yeah, they, yeah. they really, really, really built this up as they if did, it, yeah. this is going to be important. And if you play Final Fantasy fourteen and you know about Dalamud, the smaller moon that comes down, mm. Final Fantasy seven with Meteor, like it really yeah. seemed. And I'm not saying I, 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 it needed to go to that in that direction to have fulfilled its promise, they could have totally set that up as a way to undermine, you know, the expectation and done something else with it. Would have been totally happy. But do something! Yeah. Something with that! If you're gonna show that to me 5,000 times yeah. in the game, I can't, remember this is important, remember this is important, remember this is important, we're gonna end the scene, oh, by the way, the moon's up there, look at that, that's important. In literally every scene, almost in the game, and then just be like, oh yeah, we're not gonna explain that. No. That's disappointing. That's really disappointing. Oh, yeah. I think that's bad writing. Mm. I hate that. That's a personal opinion. I don't like it. I was very, very disappointed by that. That's the one element of this ending I didn't like, was that Metia amounted to basically just some symbol of hope or whatever, or symbol well, of magic in the world. Uh, I, I can't say it's a symbol of magic in the world just because uh, that, that's being a little bit too, I guess, objective about it. The only thing that we know about that star is really what it meant to Jill, right? Yeah. So the only way that I can read it at all is to read it through Jill, which is, this is who I pray to. This is the thing that I say prayers to. And I think the only thing we hear her pray for is that Clive will be safe, yeah. right? And so when the star disappears, okay, I'm, I'm assuming it disappears. Yeah, right. <laughs> and this is part of the frustration. Assuming the star disappears, when it disappears, that is 
all of the hope, hopes and prayers and dreams that she's put into that star, um, those disappearing means that that star can't grant her wish, which yes. is the Clive will be okay. Which is why she's crying yeah. about it. Now, so the game does a decent enough job of explaining what Metia means to Jill. Yes. It doesn't explain at all what it means in a broader in sense. In a literal sense. But to Jill, it means that as long as that star's around, then Clive's okay. Yeah. Um, as soon as the star's gone, that means Clive's not okay anymore. But, you, but then they that kind sense, of flip that yeah. from her perspective in that maybe in granting the wish, maybe in bringing Clive back, oh, it goes away and its power is gone. That's interesting. And the dawn is a representation of the, the wish was granted. Huh. Right? So it could be that's that Metia granted the wish and it was such a huge wish that Metia has to, the, 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 the consequence is Metia is destroyed in granting the wish that Clive comes back, right? Okay. I could see that being okay. kind of a cool symbol or something like that, or, or Metia yeah. being a god or whatever the fetch it is, yeah. that it granted the wish in the end. And, and brought him back to life. Ah, that's very And that's what the dawn, right? You know, yeah, that's pretty cool. I think that's cool. But the problem is I just don't really care you that much if Clive is <laughs> alive or not. Because I'm just not attached <laughs> to him as a character. Gotcha. And so uh, let's talk about ambiguous endings real quick. And then let's, let's well, wrap this up. I have one more thing to say about Metia. Okay. And that is the general idea of a mediator or of a relay. Something that's like, oh, according to Jill, no, you can't pray to the gods directly. You can only pray to this relay thing that will then, we promise, it'll, it'll send your message on to the gods, right? Mm -hmm. um, now, the idea is that, um, because I'd given this alternate ending before about how Clive was at the, um, the, the final judgment. What was it called? The final, um, the place where the last battle happened between man and gods at the Tower of Babel, basically. Um, and <clears throat> I gave the interpretation that Ultima and these gods of this world that they're fighting against are essentially fallen, the fallen gods, and not what could be maybe seen as something like the one true god, which Clive sort of implies when he's saying Ultima, or when Clive says there's nothing divine about Ultima. Yes, th the right. implication is that Clive has a concept of the divine and that there is an ideal that he strives towards and that there is this concept of a God that is out there. And he's just saying, no, Ultima falls short of it. Ultima yeah. is a fallen God. He's not like the, like, a, like what, like what the real God would be. Um, or in this uh, moment here that Jill prays to Metia to relay her, her, um, dreams, but now that we're in the age of reason or whatever it is, now we're in the world of men without magic that the mediator's gone. Right. But, it, it doesn't signify that like something like the ultimate power of the universe has faded or anything. It's just your relay. The mediator is now gone, which means that in a way that it was blocking you before, right? It was like the previous gods and Metia and whatever you were doing that was kind of an intercessor. It was like getting in the way between you and God is now gone. Now you have direct access to the divine directly, right? Mm. Instead of having to go through this mediator in order to access the divine. I don't think that's what the game's saying, but it's possible that you can get something like that out of it as well. Um, yeah. Because, I mean, especially as um, Clive is talking to Ultima and being like, no, a god is supposed to do this. A god is supposed to have faith in his creations. A god is supposed to, and it's like, uh, I don't know where he got the ideas of what a god is supposed to be like, um, but it would seem as though something about the universe has revealed that to Clive. Um, that you know, this is what this is what a Clive, this is what a God ought to be, and you're not, you're you're a fallen one. You're not, you're not the real thing, right? Um, that's probably the best that I can do um, yeah. for the mediator angle. But there's something, maybe something there. Yeah. Okay, let's talk about um, ambiguous endings real quick. Okay. 
um, I, I, I in no way sort of disliked this game, the ending of this game, because it was ambiguous. I, I remember I put a tweet out, and I, or I guess I don't know what they call them now. It's not called Twitter an anymore. X, an X. A Kai. What are the fetch it's called? Well, the point is I put out a message on X, which I was like, was that really it? Was that the ending, right, as I was watching the credits? And a lot of people seemed to uh, think from my uh, tweet that I was implying that it was bad because it was ambiguous or something, right? Um, when literally I was just asking, wait, is that the end or is there going to be an after credit scene? <laughs> and that was really more what I was getting at. Mm. Um, and there was an after credit scene. But point being, uh, I like ambiguous endings. Um, two of them in particular that I think are excellent are Final Fantasy VII's ending Sevens. and um, Inception. Um, and, and the reason why I like them is because there is, and, and maybe this is true for Final Fantasy 16, maybe I'm not giving it enough credit. I'll be, I'll be totally you know, transparent about that. I, I stopped caring about it at a certain point, so I stopped looking closely at it enough to maybe there's there's very high chance I've missed some stuff. Point being, what follows here are spoilers for Final Fantasy VII and Inception. You go back through Inception, and I think the answers for that ending are there. Oh, like sure. you go back on a second watch, a third watch, and you can you can make the answer to the question by the end, because you can you can point at the point where he didn't check right whether somebody he was asleep. Interrupted or him in the bathroom. So it's at this yeah, yeah. every point up to this point, yeah. we have seen him use it and know he's awake, right, or sleeping still by using the top. But there's one point in the story in which he gets interrupted in a bathroom scene. Yeah, yeah. And he doesn't get a chance to use the top to check if he's awake or not. And so, depending on that, depending on, you can, you can follow the points that lead up to it, and, and there's, there's a line to follow that lead to that ending in which that discussion actually has merit, yeah. and like, it's actually interesting to talk about, and there's, it's open for interpretation in a way where you can really follow a nice thread. It's like, it, there's, there's breadcrumbs left there that lead to a rich discussion, I felt. And we'll probably talk about that at some point in the future whenever we cover Inception on the podcast, which will oh, probably yeah. happen. It'll happen. <laughs> Similarly, with Final Fantasy VII's ending, um, and we'll talk about this whenever we talk about that in the podcast in more depth, it is, it's mostly when you're with Bugenhagen. If you pay really close attention to all the scenes uh, with Bugenhagen in the game, they bring up this question all the time. Is humankind's survival a good thing for the planet or not. Right. It's left open in all of those discussions with Bugenhagen. I don't mm. know. He doesn't know. He doesn't want to guess. But he, all he knows is that the planet's will is essentially what we should be fighting for. Because the whole idea is, if you look into the lore of that world, everybody survives through death in the life stream. Mm. You return to the life stream, and the life stream is this collection of all the memories and all the experiences of every life that has lived on this planet. And it grows. The life stream grows more powerful. The more people get reborn, live, have experience. And it's not just people. It's animals. It's every kind of life. It's trees. It's everything. All life on this planet recycles back into the life stream and mm. adds to it and enriches it and grows it. So the survival of the human race is guaranteed even if they all die. Because if the planet survives, humanity's story continues and is kept as a record and will 
be reborn again in some other form to mm -hmm. continue gaining more experience and more life through the return to the life stream and then reincarnation and return to the life stream right. and reincarnation. All of that goes away. All life, every memory, every experience that has ever happened on this planet goes away if meteor hits this planet and it's destroyed. That's right. So the, the, the conclusion reached here is humanity's survival was never the point. Mm. The planet's survival was the point. So leaving it up to interpretation whether humanity survived or not is just leaving the question open that Bugenhagen has been asking the whole time. And it's meant to be an open-ended question because we're meant to ask that about ourselves on mm. this planet. Mm. Is humanity's survival and in the way that we use resources and the way that we are damaging the planet, right. is our survival actually a good thing for the planet or not? That's what you're meant to ask yourself through that ending. The ending is beautiful because it, it, it asks that question even in its ending. I know a lot of people don't like the fact that we don't, well, what happens to cloud? And we get a whole freaking expanded universe and I've hated every piece of that since because <laughs> they was supposed to end with you not knowing if they lived or not. Right. That was the whole fetching point because their survival is not the, not what matters. What matters is that the planet lived on. And so even if they died, they're still alive in there. And they wouldn't have been alive. Nothing would have lived if they hadn't stopped it and done the planet's will. I can't believe that that has to be explained. So, ambiguous endings are great because we can have discussions like that. Right? This didn't give me that sense. I didn't get anything from this being ambiguous that left me going, wait a minute. Maybe he survived or not. Like, it, it, there's nothing thematically in this ambiguity oh, that yeah. is enriching that, like, my experience right. or my understanding of what are they trying to tell me with this game. Right, or this reaching out of the game into your actual life. Did right? Clive survive or not? I don't fetching care. What are you trying to tell me about human will and <laughs> all this other stuff that is yeah, yeah. deeper than the ankle-deep explanations you've given me so far? Because I, otherwise... Clive is not a human being. He's not a real person. He is an avatar through which you're trying to tell me something about the world. There's a theme. There's a core reason why I'm here listening to you, creator. And Clive mm -hmm. was just a, a tool in the kit in which you were using to get that point across. He's not real. I don't care if he lived or died because he's not real. Right. <laughs> what I care about is what did it mean when it was all said and done? What was this about? What is human will? What are you trying to tell me about that? <laughs> well, that's a good In question. the literal sense. <laughs> I mean, okay, I get it. Human will is powerful. If you're really determined, you can do all kinds of things. But there are literally limitations to that. Right, right. <laughs> and we yes. talked all about that before. Yeah. So that's where I'm left frustrated. It's not about the fact that it's ambiguous. It's about the fact that it's ambiguous about things I don't care about. So um, Mickey says here, to your point, ambiguous endings are only as successful as the theme is clear. Yes. So if the theme yes. isn't clear enough, then your ambiguity is just, it's just people just don't care. Yes. <laughs> and, and a part of, a part of talking about the theme is just to say that, well, what, what is its relevance in your life? Right? Yes. How does it connect to humanity at large? Yes. So anyway, that's all I have to say. I know it was a lot, but that's it. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay. Do you have anything else? Uh, no, just I do have this one thing that we um, 
didn't really touch on, and we'll get through a little bit of this other stuff later on, um, but the idea of a battle of wills, right, mm. is that Ultima doesn't want to kill Clive, just break his will. And there's also this sense after Clive finishes his battle with Ultima, because he turns around, and then he's right there with Joshua. It almost feels like that all took place in his mind, or like in a, in a separate... I don't know, maybe separate dimensions is not the right word, but it seems like it all took place in his mind, as though we watched this big sword fight. And it's weird to think, if you're going to talk to me about battling like a god that created humanity, and you're like, oh, I have a sword, and I'm like, sword fight him. <laughs> like, like, I, I, I would assume that Ultima, I, just Clive can't possibly stand a chance, right? It just, it just doesn't make sense at all. Um, with with sword or no sword, it doesn't matter. And then you're just like, you know, punching him, right? You're punching him in the face. Like this guy created like all of life. Like, I don't know how that's, how you could even do that. Um, but the abstraction could serve as like, we're fighting him, but that's just a me, that's just talking about the battle of will that's happening, but that the battle of wills is all kind of internal, right? And that Ultima does not want to kill Clive, just break his will. Mm. Right. And that to that extent, the fighting kind of makes sense. It's like you're you're fighting with this being that just it owns you in every way except for this one aspect of you that it needs in order to fully control you. And you won't give it to him, but he can't kill you. He can't do it because he needs you. And so if there if there was something like a God that could come down and would fight you, but didn't actually want to kill you, then I, all of a sudden I can see something like this maybe becoming a little bit more plausible in their fantasy world, right? Um, because Ultima, for all of his power, that's not what this is all about. This whole thing really is just a, con a contest of will. And if you think of the sword fighting um, as something along the lines of an abstraction to get at the deeper idea of a battle of wills happening implicitly, internally, um, then some of this can make a little bit more sense, and it makes yeah. some of this a little bit more palatable. I don't know that's how they presented it, but if you take it that way, <laughs> then you know it might help you to have a little bit of a better experience with the end of uh, the ending boss here. Sure. Um, and his will was not broken, but he broke Ultima's will, right? Is that what happened? Anyways, He's a little stronger than Ultima's. Yeah, that's a little little confusing, but it's all good. Yeah. Especially okay. given that he's not even doing his own will, really. He's just adopted Sid's will. Yeah. But it's still stronger than Ultima, I guess. I guess so. By proxy. Okay. So, the mm. invitation still stands. I didn't love it. I had a net negative experience at this point. If you did not, and you feel like any of the things I have said, um, that there, there is a deeper way to look at this, that you got more out of it. I'm, I'm inviting this in good faith, right? You don't have to argue with me. You don't have to be like, hey, you dummy, you didn't see this. You can just say, hey, Mike, you're inviting me in good faith. I'm responding in good faith. <laughs> here, those is, words. here is the reason why I think this dialogue between Barnabas and Clive actually has lots of depth to it and why it touches on a theme that really is deeper than you're saying. Explain it, write in a comment. Um, I, I will be shown that by our curator of our comments because... I've banned myself from looking at comments anymore because <laughs> I just I have mental illness. I get way too hooked up or um, I get way too uh, fired up about things. Um, and I don't want to do that anymore because it's not fair to the 99% of people who are really nice and great and awesome. And I, I know our comment section is so good. And, and uh, I, 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 I miss out, unfortunately, on all of that great stuff because I just can't 
help but take myself way too seriously, <laughs> which is a whole thing we talked about in Near Automata. It's a thing I need to work on. I need to work on stop stopping taking myself so seriously. But I can't at the current moment. So someone is going to curate those comments for us, and they're going to give me the ones that were <laughs> given to me in good faith anyway. So please feel free to do that. And I, I honestly am trying to stay open-minded about that. I'll read them, and I'll respond to your points uh, next time. And, and, and like I said, we'll try to go through some dev history, uh, learn a bit more about, you know, maybe with the dev developer intentions. Yeah, read some interviews. And then we will never do this again. We will never do a brand new game on the podcast. For your ever sake. Again. <laughs> we will do a game that at least we are sure at least one of us likes. Yes. A lot. And those are the games that we're going to be doing. <laughs> yes. Well, or, or if we haven't played it before, somebody else who really likes who it. Who really likes the game. Will be on the And who can help podcast. us appreciate it. Yes. yes. All of that. That'll be the purpose of the podcast forever on moving forward. We'll be <laughs> playing stuff we actually like to talk about. <laughs> Because that was what it was supposed to be. So this was a, yes, it was an experiment. It was a failure. It won't, <laughs> it won't be repeated. <laughs> I don't know. In a year or two, we'll forget, and then we'll FF seventeen's coming out, and we'll. Get I'm, I'm not playing Final Fantasy seventeen. <laughs> I'm just telling everybody right now. I'm not playing Final Fantasy seventeen. I'm not playing Final Fantasy seven Rebirth. Um, I'm done. I'm I'm just not doing it. I'm done. I'm done. This this series, like I said at the beginning, um, I'm no longer the target demographic for this series. Um, yeah. That's fine. I'm fine with that. I'm going to go play Baldur's Gate 3 like I've been doing. Love that game. It's fantastic. Um, playing, got back into Elden Ring. Love it. It's fantastic. Oh, sweet. Friggin' great. Um, let me get back to talking about stuff that I know for a fact that it's going to be in my wheelhouse. It's going to be up my alley. It's going to be made for me. I am in the target demographic. I am in the fan base that it was made for. I am. I, I no longer am in the Final Fantasy uh, tribe. <laughs> I'm tribe. Just, I, I just don't belong here anymore. I just don't. They it's, kick, it's they just kick a you reality. out. It's, it's a reality. I yeah. just don't belong there. You know, I don't know how many games are made for um, for people of our age group. <laughs> so uh, Elden Ring we're, was. We're kind of out of luck a little bit. Baller Gate 3 is. Okay, cool. For some dope games, dude. Hmm. Um, in some ways, FF16 oh, tried to be. but I should say this. What is the next game, people keep asking? Oh, yeah. Um, that, clo that vote is so, so, so tight. Really? It is so close. So there was four options. Three of them are basically tied. Okay. And, and by basically tied, I mean technically there's one that's in a one-vote lead, but they mm. all have like 99 votes, basically. Well, If we were to vote, we could skew this any one way. So I want to pitch this idea to you, and I want to see what you think about it. I think we should just do all three of them. Oh, shoot. Uh, back to back? Or? <laughs> no. So we would do Spec Ops The Line, okay. which is short. Okay. And then The Outer Wilds, which is also short. Okay. Um, the Outer Wilds is not a linear story. Oh. It's very much an open, like you're going to play it a totally different way than me. It's way different than what we've covered ever on this podcast. How are we going to talk about it? We have to beat the game first okay. and then come talk about it. The whole game. We, we have yeah. some material we can release in the interim, some Patreon-exclusive episodes and whatnot to keep us ahead a week or whatever. Yes. But we, we'll probably need to beat the Outer Wilds first before we do any episodes on it. Okay. Um, so my plan is we'll probably do like two-ish episodes on Spec Ops The Line, do one big one or maybe two on the Outer Wilds. Okay. Then we will go back and play um, Tactics Ogre. Okay. Which one... 
the previous, previous friggin' boat. And then we will play Planescape Torment. Okay. Which I am absolutely, really excited to talk about. Sweet. That is a game that, in terms of what's made for our podcast, thematic yeah, richness. Yeah, that one. It's about as good as it gets. Good, nice, nice. So sweet. That's the schedule. Well, that rounds out the year basically. Yeah. So we're going to do Spec Ops: The Line. Awesome. The Outer Wilds, Tactics Ogre, uh, Planescape Torment. So there's going to be a while before we'll have another big public vote, but I think that Kay. these games were all so close. Yeah. And people all wanted to see them so badly that I just felt bad picking one. It just didn't seem right. <laughs> okay. It didn't seem right. Okay. So, okay. Anyway, Soma will continue to be in the... Uh, Soma got about half the amount of votes that the others got, so there's still some interest in it, for, for sure. So it'll, it'll be in future votes. Okay. But uh, those three were, were just too close um, to, to pick one. I just It didn't feel right to do that. So that's the plan. Okay. Thank you for watching. We'll be back again next time. Peace out.